Steel Toes and Scoreboards Podcast. Like us on Facebook and Twitter. Hey, Kurt, you want a hot take? Yeah. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. He was a great two-strike hitter. Bill Lambeer would have made Shaq piss himself. You really think so? It's Shaq, dude. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Fun fact, Kurt. I love deep stats. Good research, bro. <laughs> Word association. Greatest of all time. Tell me how you really feel about pro sports. These contracts are out of control. Some people might not like that. Well, I'm going to pick some people off. <laughs> well, I mean, you sure will. You're the baseball guru, though, man. Shout out to my coach, Joe Rodmaker. Well, it is a digital world these days. Yeah, I'm an analog man. Tiger Woods. Mount Rushmore, bro. Coach Bobby Knight. IU misses him, no doubt. Times have changed. But for the better of the worst. No, that's, that's arguable. I'll tell you right now, though. I'm, uh, it's modern age. I'm not drug testing for pot anymore in any sport. It's a damn plant. <laughs> they fire and suspend these guys for weed? Ridiculous. I'm a fountain sure of bet. useless pro wrestling. Sure bet. Sure bet. <laughs> Sound like Adam Sweet. Sure bet. <laughs> he was a role model for millions. Rest in peace, Mamba. Team Ali. Team Tyson. You know what? Fuck it. You're baseball's new commissioner. Oh, I don't want that job. <laughs> oh, horse shit. Come on, bro. Magic versus Bird. What a rivalry. Okay, okay. Boost ratings. Ashes in the seat. You know what? Hot take. Tap the mic. He's the best I've ever seen. Nobody compares to him. Look at his legacy. Alright guys, another episode of Steel Toes and Scoreboards coming to you now. Alright guys, welcome to a remote edition of Steel Toes and Scoreboards. Uh, January 2nd, 2022 already. Jared Atkins from his kitchen table and Kirk Kelly uh, and his... I'm in the living room. And his <laughs> living room uh, and uh, Alfordsville, Indiana. We're... Uh, a little bit apart tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's for probably a good reason, I yeah. guess. Uh, yeah, well, we won't go into a whole lot of detail, but yeah. uh, how you feeling, dog? Uh, better than I have been. That's good to hear you. Yeah. Uh, did you have a good Christmas? Oh, well, I guess you had a good Christmas. It's the week after that kind of sucked, huh? Yeah, dude. It was pretty rough, man. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still, I'll tell you what, I'm still recovering yet. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Just get down uh, under the weather, you know. You know, it happens. I'm glad you're uh, feeling better, though. I mean, I haven't been this sick in a long time, man. Gave me a scare there. I thought I thought you might have had the Rona, bro. Uh, I was beginning to wonder too, bro. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I shouldn't uh, laugh at the Rona, but you know, the uh, Kurt was texting me some things, and every other word, I was like, "You got Rona, bro. You got Rona, bro." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, I was being the wonder myself, but uh, fortunately, I did not. Did not, and uh, no, it but turned you out to be a bad flu, man. You're as sick as you've ever been in your life. Yeah, pretty sick. The flu, yeah. the flu ain't no joke. I mean, a lot of people no, still no, forget about that. It's no joke. No, yeah, it's a real deal. So uh, we got a, we got a, you know, a, I don't know, kind of a, a cool episode, I guess. Uh, you know, the very first episode we did was uh, 
over two hours and it was uh about the golden state warriors it was supposed to be about their uh historic uh 73 and 9 season but we i ended up (laughs) giving an impromptu team history and uh that's still to this day one of our top five most downloaded episodes i think that's because people just wanted to see what the podcast was all about right right but uh i I thought it was a good episode i mean i learned things about uh, golden state or uh, i didn't know well, we got feedback that a lot of some of the people that gave feedback was like, man, that was kind of cool. You should do more team history right. episodes. And I'm like, well, it wasn't supposed to be a team history. So, but tonight we are doing our first official team history episode for uh, a coworker of ours who's a big Cincinnati Bengals fan. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, I want to preface this by saying that I wasn't quite sure what to do on the research, and I've been I've been awful lazy with the research lately. Kurt, uh, Kurt's got the easiest job in the world. What's your job? Uh, video, video, watch film, and occasionally what? read an article. Yep. yep. So my job is to do all the legwork, which I'm a research freak, anyways. But uh, I've been lazy lately, so the the best way to uh, to break this down for me was to just go. Uh, year by year, the Bengals, and I didn't get too crazy with it. There was no way in hell I told Kurt there's no way in absolute fucking hell I was going to break down an entire game by game season of a 50, 60 year franchise. Right. That'd be uh, that'd be a lot of work, but yes. instead, I just kind of gave a one, two, three paragraphs. You know, I don't think any of them is more than three paragraphs. I gave right. a one, two, three paragraph breakdown of year by year all the way up into last season 2020 i did not do anything for this season so right. sorry the Bengals looking good this year they're looking good um they either uh i didn't watch any football today i was a little busy i uh actually kurt i started this evening uh the reason we're recording tonight we were mean you were supposed to do it tomorrow is uh, i gotta do a lot of mixing tomorrow tonight i started my third podcast so Tonight I recorded a couple episodes. It's a, a podcast about Freemasonry oh, with, yeah? a, with a guy in my lodge I'm in. So we did that. So And I was amped up. We had a good recording session. And that's why I texted you. He's like, hey, you want to do it tonight? Because we're both night owls anyways. Yeah. And yeah, the rest sure. of the free world's going back to work tomorrow. But because we don't ever work Fridays, they gave us our New Year's holiday tomorrow. Right. So That gives me another day to recuperate. It yes, gives yes. you another day to recuperate. But... um. So, you know, we broke I broke this down basically year by year, but uh I didn't watch any football today. Uh the Bengals either I think they won the division today. I think really? they won the AFC North today. I could be wrong. Congratulations. Yeah, you're you're real happy about that. Uh tomorrow yeah, night you know. tomorrow night, Big Ben's final game. Yes. You think I'd so? say. I mean he I mean it's still not been confirmed by anybody, but um He's uh he's he's put it out there that he's done. Well, I mean, can you blame him? Surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh yeah, no doubt. No doubt. First within his his first year of eligibility, which will be five years from now, first sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be the end of an era in Pittsburgh. I, being a Steeler fan, that's gonna be it's gonna be uh, lean. I got the feeling it's coming up the next few years. It's gonna be pretty lean. But you know, we got to rebuild. Somehow. I wish we was at where Cincinnati was at right now, kind of. You know, uh, 
being a, a two years under the belt for uh, Burrow, I mean, that would be, if we had a quarterback, we'd be in the same situation if we'd have drafted somebody. But, you know. But before we start on this, since this is, you know, we're talking about your Steelers and this whole episode's about the Bengals, the AFC North, I have a little bit of news for you. So, okay. wide receiver Antonio Brown. I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I put out on my Twitter account earlier, I said, Antonio Brown has has given us so many hidden gems over the years. I said, uh, he's a national treasure and he's protected at all costs. He literally stripped down on the field (laughs) through his helmet, through his jersey, and, and then he ran out of the stadium. He didn't even go back into the tunnel. He literally ran out into the parking lot, got in a police car, and went to the airport. He quit, <laughs> rage quit, temper tantrum mid-fucking game. What a waste of talent, too, man. And, Holy. dude, he this kid come in like, I mean, they didn't know what they had at the time, and he become the face of the franchise. Sorry, big man, for a while. And yeah. then the dude flew his rocker and all the mess uh, in Oakland and Tampa Bay. Oh, my God. And I love it. I love it, love it, love it. It is hilarious. I mean, a clown, dude. I don't know what else to say. I don't I don't get it. You know what? I would be I, – if I'm one of the people that started him in fantasy – in the fantasy playoffs today, I am pissed because you know right, right. they lost. Right, quick question for you. You think that's it for Antonio? I mean, is there going to be another team that, that takes a chance on him? I, I think I he's done. I think personally I he's going to walk away. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, if A.B. in his mind still thinks that he's going to carry some weight and be with another organization, there's I not another team. That. Bill Belichick in, in New England had him up there for a while. Belichick takes a flyer on everybody. There right. is not. There's nothing that's going to save A.B. This, this latest outburst is <laughs> he, it, it's yeah. over with. Uh, ridiculous, man. But I just, oh god, dude, I, yeah, I just, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's, oh, it's crazy. All right, so uh, I'm gonna fire me up a lucky strike here, and uh, I know I shouldn't be smoking in the house, but the kids aren't here. Oh well. Um, let's get into it. Right on. You want to hit a sponsor first? Yeah, you know, because we haven't did that in a while, and uh, you gotta. Hit the people that pay the bills, right? Right, right. They don't. They don't pay any of the bills yet. But if we right. keep growing, maybe let me uh, let's maybe. queue up. Let's queue up the old trendy. So check out Glary Guitars on uh, Facebook or on the web at glarymusic.com. That's G L A R R Y. Glary Music. Very very reasonable, affordable instruments. I bought two acoustics uh, a year ago. Uh, Eighty dollars a piece. Uh, Kurt Kurt has uh, Kurt has played my acoustic. Uh, they look pretty nice. They look and sound like a three hundred five hundred dollar guitar. Uh, I had very little adjustment out of mine. Uh, right out of the box, it was almost ready to go. Just had to adjust the neck just a little bit. Um, I call it a cannon guitar. But anyways, check out Glary on Facebook or on the web. Or give them a phone call at 1-606-404-6286. Acoustic guitars, electric guitars, violins or fiddles for us folks. Uh, (laughs) Basses, uh, accordions, anything you want. And uh, I highly, highly recommend Glary for a beginner. 
or uh, somebody you just want a cheap beat around guitar. I shouldn't say cheap, affordable, affordable. Don't say cheap, affordable. But anyways, that's right. Glary. All right, bro. Let me uh, switch screens here. Uh, I am all alone in my humble abode. My father <laughs> is not here. I am sitting at the kitchen table at 940 at night. And uh, I had a little Tupac playing on Alexa earlier, you know, going a little old school. <laughs> right. Tupac. Yep. By the way, everybody, the uh, the our uh, typical show opening, I just want to play this one more time, real, real just real, real fast. This is the last time, Steel most Tony's likely the last time that you guys hear that because I have drawn up a new script because I am too lazy to isolate audio from all 20-something episodes we've done and patch it all together. <laughs> so I drew up a brand new script for me and Kurt. Uh, I've, I have narrowed the music choices down to three, which uh, Kurt and I will talk about off there. I can't give away all the secrets. Right, right. So, But uh, I've got the music picked down to three instrumentals now, uh, two right. rock and roll, one rap. We'll see what Kurt's in the mood for. Uh but yeah, we'll have our new show opening for our new episode whenever we do it. But uh, that that recorded it. Farewell to uh, we don't own any of the rights to the music. But shout out to Heart. Uh, right. Hopefully they don't sue us now. The shout out to Heart. We enjoyed Barracuda for the last six months, but uh, it's time to move on. We love the Wilson sisters, so yeah. Hopefully they don't sue us. Nancy Wilson was a wonderful woman. Her sister was oh, yeah. too. Oh yeah, sure. All right, bro, here we go. The Cincinnati Bengals are a professional football franchise. Did you know that? Yes. Do you know where they are based at? Uh, Since, oh, my God, Kurt, it was a joke. Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the, uh, the stadium. Yeah, well, they, I, mean, I thought you were serious for a minute. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so oh, uh, they are one of 12 teams to have not won a Super Bowl and they're one of six teams to have not won a championship in the pre- or post-Super Bowl era, and they are the only AFL franchise to have not won a championship in the AFL or the NFL when they merged in 1970. Uh, a tough sled for them right there, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I just clicked. I just moved my mouth. I just skipped like 12 pages ahead. Why do we always <laughs> have technical – we always have technical difficulties, always. Well, I mean, technology is great, you know. You're an I'm an analog man. That's right. There you go. So, anyways, on May 24th, 1967, the city of Cincinnati was granted a franchise by the AFL. The franchise was sold to a Cincinnati-based ownership group, who was led by Paul Brown, who had an ownership share of 20 percent. The investors also included. Uh, Several other guys who I'm not going to name, which we don't know. The Cincinnati Inquirer paper, who, by the way, the Cincinnati Inquirer was one of our sources tonight, uh, which right. I always list at the end of every episode. Anyways, as the founder and head coach of the Cleveland Browns from 1946 to 1962, Paul Brown led his team to over uh, 800 winning percentage and seven championships, which includes four earned while they were part of the All-American Football Conference. The Browns were champions of that league in each of the four years it existed, and when it folded in 49, the Browns, as well as the 49ers, and the first incarnation of the Baltimore Colts became absorbed into what was now known as the National Football League. 
Oh, damn it. I keep hitting the wrong button, and it keeps moving me back down, Kurt. Damn it. I just can't use this button, I guess. I'm going to have to just do it with the scroller. <laughs> so hang on. We good, bro. I just, I hate that. So I guess I'm just, I'm going to have to scroll it this way. I'm using a different thing, too. I usually do everything in uh, Microsoft Word. I cheated and used WordPad on this one. <laughs> so, anyway, so I go to talk about how, you know, Paul Brown, you know, he founded the Cleveland Browns and, uh, which he did and, and what he was a part of. And uh, in 1961, because this all plays into the Bengals' history, so we're going to have to do a little Cleveland Browns history, not much. But anyways, in 1961, a business guy by the name of Art Modell assumed control of the Cleveland Browns. And on January 9th, 1963, in a very controversial manner, he fired Paul Brown. Uh, the reason behind it, a lot of people think to this day, was that Art Modell had grown tired of complaints about Paul Brown's style. Some people say it was because uh, Paul Brown decided to trade for Heisman winner Ernie Davis, who played at Syracuse, who was drafted by the Redskins. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Ernie got diagnosed with leukemia shortly thereafter, and Paul Brown didn't want to play him. Art Modell insisted he should play, and then, you know, this led down, and a few short months later, Ernie Davis actually ended up dying anyways. So, uh, I keep hitting the wrong button. It keeps scrolling. <laughs> I'm so used to paging it down. I'm going to have to literally scroll. So, uh, I'm, letting my, I'm letting my dog out, too, so in case you hear any weird stuff. Is that, he I, I thought I heard he, his footprints. or his footprints. Yeah, he, yeah, he came up to me, looked at me, and said, look, Dad, I got to go potty. I miss, so, I miss my boy. I ain't seen him in almost over a month. Yeah, he's he's rotten. That's my boy. He, oh, luck. He's, he's full rotten. He, yeah, so that's what you're hearing right now if you – all right so i'm just gonna readjust everything here a little bit and uh i'm just i'm right here so okay so in 1966 paul brown had decided that he wanted to get involved in football again and the then governor of ohio was a guy by the name of james rhodes who convinced paul brown that the state of ohio would benefit financially from a second team so the most logical choice at the time they thought was cincinnati um so, I guess Paul Brown, though, had decided he didn't really want to bring a franchise to Cincinnati uh, because their largest football venue at the time was the University of Cincinnati's Nippert Stadium, which was Nippert well, Stadium, yes. yep, which was well under the minimum fifty thousand capacity that the NFL AFL required for expansion teams. Right, I think it was like twenty eight thousand capacity. Yeah, them. yeah. Yep. So, long story short, they argue on that, and Paul Brown decided to name the team the Bengals. And he did this because there was a, prof a professional football team in Cincinnati in the past called the Bengals uh, that played from 1937 to 1942. And then possibly as a fuck you to Art Modell, Paul <laughs> Brown which we'll cover later, and you know where I'm going with this. He chose the right. exact shade of orange used by his former team, 
and added black instead of brown as a secondary <laughs> color and the word Bengals in black lettering. <laughs> so, uh, no doubt that was a, no doubt that was directed at Art Modell. I yeah. Mean, I, so sure. a turning point would then happen in 1966 when the AFL agreed to a merger with its rival, the NFL. The merger negotiations had been completed by several factors, one being that members of the United States Congress were seeking guarantees that any merger would include all existing AFL teams. Under pressure from the United States Congress, NFL commissioner at the time, Pete Rozelle, the legendary Pete Rozelle, he promised that professional football would be maintained in each of the 23 markets where it then existed. There were a total of 24 franchises between the two leagues, 15 in the NFL and 9 in the AFL. Uh... But congregation, congre- congressional delegation of Louisiana led that insist would uh, insist that an NFL franchise in New Orleans be there. As a result, the New Orleans Saints became the NFL's 16th franchise in 1967. Having just stocked the Saints roster, though, NFL owners did not want to risk having the talent pool of their own league becoming diluted by another expansion draft. Well, then some shady shit goes down, and this is the thing I had sent you in text. I told Corey, NFL owners would quickly agree that the AFL should add another team. From the AFL's perspective, adding another team was highly desirable because the guarantee of an eventual place in the NFL merger meant the league could charge a steep expansion fee of $10 million, 400 times the 25000 that they were paying in 1960. So, so just a reference point for this, and I and you know I'm the money guy. I always oh, yeah. do the I do the inflation. The cash from the transaction provided the AFL with the funds needed to pay the indemnities required to be paid by the AFL to the NFL. So what that basically means is just for a reference point, they're overcharging this ten million dollars in 1966. That equals out to eighty two million dollars in 2022 money. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of cat hair in the scratch, isn't it? That's a lot of scratch. So, uh, I got some more information about that. Uh, briefly, just going to touch on it. Good boy, Luck. Uh, luck, dog. <laughs> Brown ultimately agreed to join the AFL when learning that the team was guaranteed to become an NFL franchise after the merger was completed in 70. In addition, consideration was that the AFL was willing to allow Cincinnati to play at Nippert Stadium for the team's two pre-merger seasons, buying them time to find another stadium. And then ultimately the stadium issue was settled in no small part because the Cincinnati Reds were also in need of a facility to replace the antique Crossley Field where they had played since 1912. Parking nightmares had plagued them and the city agreed that it was not feasible at the time in Cincinnati to have two new stadiums being built, so why not one stadium being built? So with assistance from the Ohio governor, Hamilton County and the city of Cincinnati agreed to build a single multi-purpose facility on the riverfront section of the city, which would go on to become Riverfront Stadium, which would be shared by the Cincinnati Reds and... The Cincinnati Bengals. You ever been there? Riverfront Stadium? Yeah. Never. Yeah, I've been there. I was there a couple times. Pretty nice. I'd like to go to Cincinnati's, what is that, uh, 
Great American Ballpark now. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I've never, I've not been there either. And of course, there's Paul Brown Stadium. Right. Uh, anyways, um, let's see if I got anything else I really need to say about this here. I just kind of want to get it. Uh, Ohio Governor James Rhodes presented a proposal on Cincinnati's behalf on May 23rd, 67. Uh, by the time Cincinnati had already approved construction for a new stadium that would become Riverfront, uh, a cookie cutter facility, they called it. Uh, so anyways, the, the, the date of being born for the Cincinnati Bengals goes down on May 23rd, 1967. Uh, let me see what else we got here. Corey, I hope you appreciate this deep slow. I mean, deep stats. Uh, so basically it just talks about the ownership and who all had their hands involved in it. Cause you know, Paul Brown couldn't afford all this on his own. Right. Uh, Boy, I put a lot in there about that. Uh, it kind of lays a foundation, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I, due to the impending merger of the AFL and the NFL, which was to take effect in the 1970 season, Paul Brown agreed to join the AFL as its 10th and final franchise, which we just said. Cincinnati was selected for the city because, like their neighbors, the Reds, they could draw from several large neighboring cities, Louisville, in Lexington, Columbus, Dayton, Springfield, Ohio, as well as the city of Indianapolis, who had no professional sports team football-wise until the Baltimore Colts relocated there in 84. So 1967, the year was highly significant for the Bengals in a both football sense. Uh, this is all shit I basically just read down anyways. So... They fielded their first team with an agreement to play two seasons at Nippert Stadium on the University of Cincinnati campus as their stadium was being built. Um, I think they had a typical franchise year that year, too, didn't they? I mean, as far as record-wise. They were, they were awarded 40 veteran players in the ALF and the AFL allocation draft, but the, the draft itself was not generous to Cincinnati, allowing um, existing teams to protect the best players of the 40 selections, only 16 ever played for Cincinnati and only three would play as many as four seasons. Uh, in the college draft, the Bengals selected Tennessee center, Bob Johnson as their first pick. He would go on to play 12 seasons with the Bengals with an AFL all-star game selections. <coughs> Let's see here. In their first regular season, the Bengals lost their opener at San Diego with Ricky Dewey Warren as starting quarterback, but Cincinnati won its next two by posting double-digit margins at home over Buffalo and Denver. They would only win one more game, though, however, finishing 3-11 for the season. Uh, though Warren, a six-round draft choice from Tennessee, took the first regular season snap at QB, future Bengals head coach Sam Weish also saw significant time at quarterback during the season. Rookie running back Paul Robertson had led the AFL in rushing with 1,000-plus yards and was named AFL Rookie of the Year. Uh, And then the the name that's still today, for those that are old enough to remember it, I'm not, but if you're a football fan, you know this name. The team the following year would select quarterback Greg Cook out of the University of Cincinnati, the hometown kid, fifth overall, uh, and he was immediate sensation. He in their second year, he led them to a three and zero start. 
including victory over then-powerhouses Oakland and AFL. Kansas City coached by – who had Kansas City been coached by back in the day? You think uh, of Vince Lombardi, and then you think of this guy. Oh, I, I, boy, I can't think of it right now. I know I can see him, but I can't think of his name, dude. What was what the hell was his name? Uh, Herb Strand? Herm Strand? Herb, there you go. Herb, there you Herb go. Strand. That's it. Yep, there you go. Took That's me a right. minute. Uh, Paul Brown would go on to say, with Cook, and if he stays with it, I have myself another autogram, which uh, for those of you that don't know, like I said, if you're if you're a football freak and you, and you know football history, uh, each decade almost has been dominated by a certain team. And the 50s were dominated by the Browns, which right. was coached by Paul Brown, who founded the team. And Paul Brown had one guy doing it all for him, and that was Otto Graham at quarterback. Yes. So uh, anyway, so this, this Cook kid, they're pretty high on him. And then in his third uh, game three, game four, he hurt his shoulder and uh, he returned to play later in the year. He won the AFL's passing title and offensive rookie of the year, but he never fully recovered from the injury. And uh, to this day, probably more than about any player in Cincinnati Bengals history, he's often looked at with a what if yeah, kind of. Yeah, so, sure. so that's a sore subject to this day. Uh, he had an average – uh, which it, it seems minor now, but it's apparently this is a record which, you know, to our information, every episode, everything's as factual as we can be. If we're wrong, let us know. But to the best of my knowledge, this information is factual. Uh, through 2020, at least, I don't know about this season, he had an average yards per attempt of almost 10 yards. <laughs> so, which, that's, I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, even in today's yeah, standard, that's pretty good. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, he never just was the same after that injury, I don't think. I, no, he sure wasn't. Of course, their next guy they drafted is a quarterback, which turned out to be pretty good. Which we'll we'll get there. Let's see right. here. Uh, I hit the wrong button again. I'm so used to doing this button at your house. <laughs> so. Uh. <clears throat> Please stand by. Yeah, no, we're we're here. We are here. We are. I think we're here. Uh, he never recorded. Um, rec- recorded, recovered. Uh, but support for the then, you know, second year Bengals started to grow, and the club announced that the remainder of the home season at Nippert was sold out. And on November 9th of that year, sixty-eight. I think it. I think it was sixty-eight. I want to make sure. I got. I got it down here. Yeah. No. Sixty-nine. Excuse me. Sixty-nine. Uh, on November 9th, the Bengals played the franchise's first game on an artificial turf, which I don't. I just thought that was funny. Uh, but they experienced tragedy in the morning of September fifteenth, the day of their season opener, the following year, when their linebacker out of Southern California, Frank Buncom, uh, he was a twenty-nine-year-old, was found dead at a hotel. The team hotel with a blood clot that had reached his lungs. So, a little bit of tragedy. But then here we go into 1970. Uh, please stand by. <laughs> You're laughing. Don't laugh at me. Oh, yeah. So, uh, okay, here we go. I just. 
I put I'd put like three sentences back to back. I just put earlier. So we get into seventy, uh, which is their second or third season. Uh, or I didn't fuck that up. Uh, it was their third year of existence. The Bengals became at the time the youngest franchise to reach the playoffs. They, uh, of course, Baltimore shut them out seventeen to zero. I didn't even put anything about the regular season. They just they they did good enough. Their third season, third year in the league, they make the playoffs. And then uh, the Baltimore Colts, my boy, the greatest quarterback to ever play. Johnny U. Johnny U. Uh, just, you know, he didn't, light, he didn't light it up. It was the defense. But, uh, you know, Johnny U still Johnny U. Uh, Baltimore beat him 70 – or not 17-0, excuse me, uh, which is, you know, the Colts would go on to win the Super Bowl five that year. Uh, but Paul Brown won uh, the AP's NFL Coach of the Year. Uh, but also on the other side of the things, 1970 was their debut season for Riverfront Stadium, uh, which they would share with the Cincinnati Reds. The seating capacity for the football varied due to whether the Reds' home baseball season was still a go or not because they have to move bleachers and all this stuff. Uh, the first regular season game that year was September 20th, and I put this in here just because you'll like this. Uh QB and future Bengals head coach Sam Weish scored the first regular season touchdown in the new stadium. Ooh. Uh, but yeah, here's their I, I put in there about their postseason loss to the Colts. So nineteen seventy one, uh, they went five and zero in the preseason. They opened the regular season with hopes of defending the AFC Central Division title. They started out with a 37 to 14 romping of the Philadelphia Eagles, and then they lost the next seven games to finish at four and ten. Back when we were still in a 14 game season, uh, you know they 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 kind of stumbled around a little bit, you know, despite the fact that they were, you know, outgaining their opponents by 25 yards per game or more, and they were at the time they were posting a plus 16 turnover differential. Six of their losses that season came by four points or less. And then Sam Weish, who would become the Bengals head coach, got traded to Washington. Virgil Carter was the starting quarterback for most of the season, but he missed some time with injuries, allowing for the debut. And I know you're excited here. You're just talking about him. Here's the debut of their third-round draft pick. You know who that would have been? Ken Anderson. Ken Anderson. That son of a bitch is a legend. He's solid, solid QB. I mean, he the the young Anderson couldn't turn her, the '71 season back around. It was pretty much shot, but that would start a long 16 year career in Cincinnati. That would end up with him holding all the team's major passing records. Uh, the first of Anderson's career 197 touchdowns. Uh, was a five-yarder to wide receiver Eric Crabtree. Uh, let's see what we got here, what we need and what we don't need. Uh, on November 28th of 71, the Bengals posted their first shutout in franchise history, 31 to nothing at home over San Diego, which would have been uh, – that wouldn't have been Dan Fouch yet in 71. I don't no, think so. No, that was the 80s. Which they shut down Eric Coriel in their 80s during their Super Bowl run. But uh, yes. 
Anyways, uh, regular home attendance w- was strong for Riverfront Stadium in their second year. An average of just over 59,000 fans, and that wouldn't be topped until 2003 with the Carson Palmer, Hushman Zada, Chad Johnson Bengals. Right on. Uh, so we get into 72. Uh, they, they, they uptick a little bit, you know, 71 was pretty disappointing, but they end up finishing eight and six and 72 for the second time in three seasons. Yeah. It wasn't enough to get another playoff berth, but coach Paul Brown said at seasons end, the Bengals had met his goal of becoming a fully competitive franchise by year five. Uh, the Bengal, uh, just for future reference, as we'll cover the Bengals would, uh, you know, End up going thirty-eight and eighteen over the next four seasons. So pretty good. Pretty good, yes. Um, of course, you know Ken Anderson's in his second year, and this is where he's going to go ahead and hold on to the starter job. Um, uh, what I best remember uh, during his time being, they always had a good running game too, which complimented Ken Anderson their passing game. That's, Talented running backs to do there too, which we'll get to that. What one thing I did here is I broke down notable players from each decade. So I know we're going team by team, season by season, kind of. But one thing right. I did is I did break down decade by decade notable players, games, and right. moments of right. each decade. So, right. so we'll get to that. Um, in the middle of the '72 season, though, uh, Anderson. Uh, in the season finale, led a 61 to 17 thrashing of the Houston Oilers. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, Anderson's pretty much rolling until he gets to be about 35 and would give way to Boomer Esiason. Uh, 1973, the Bengals would claim. Their second AFC Central title in the division's four-year existence. They won six, their last six games after a four-and-four four start, claiming the crown over the ten-and-four Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> via the conference record tiebreaker. <laughs> the Bengals' rivalry with the Steelers heated up in '73 with Pittsburgh quarterback Terry Bradshaw saying, "I'd rather beat Cincinnati than anybody else." <laughs> the teams would split their two meetings. In the postseason, the Bengals, though, would lose 34-16 to at Miami, who would go on to win the Super Bowl. It marked the second time in two playoff appearances the Bengals were eliminated by the team that would go on to win the whole damn thing. Uh, though the schedule at this time was just 14 games, the Bengals missed by just 15 total yards, having 2,000-yard rushers that season. Veteran Essex Johnson had 997 yards. And the bruising treth, 12th round draft choice, greatest name ever, Booby Clark. Booby Clark. Not yes. Bobby Clark. Booby. Booby. <laughs> Booby <Big> Clark. Bruiser. <laughs> he was a he bruising was a big, running back. Yeah, he was a big bruising running back, yes. I mean, we're not talking like Earl Campbell bruising, but this was a big boy. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, through... Uh, I don't know what I was getting ready to say there. The 71 offense, the 71, the 73 offense further improved by wide receiver Isaac Curtis, a first round draft pick who would play 12 lights out seasons for Cincinnati. Uh, 
Damn good receiver. Uh, the NFL rules on home television blackouts were changed for 73 with blackout games lifted, which means more and more fans were starting to see what the Bengals organization was all about. Uh, here I got a breakdown of their game at Miami. Uh, just for fun facts, let's test your knowledge. Who was the running back and quarterback for the Dolphins? That would have been in 73. Uh, Bob Greasy and uh, Zonka, I think. Well, Zonka's one of them. Zonka was fullback. Who was the running back? Uh, Come on, it's right there. Uh, oh, dang it. Uh, Paul. No, think about no. this. It's it's the name of a planet. Oh, boy. Mercury. Mercury uh, Hayes. No, Mercury Morris. You're awful Mercury damn close. Morris. I'll give it to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard of him before, but I... Can I? Can we just say for a minute, I, I just want to point something out that... Uh, <clears throat> I was born in 1987. You were born in 1971. Yes. So the NFL that I grew up on and the NFL that you kind of grew up on were a little bit different. So oh, yeah. when I start getting my first memories of watching football, like 94-ish, 95-ish, it's a different – it's kind of lights out, but it's also different than what you – but can I just point out for the fact that the Dolphins and Don Shula in the 70s eras – didn't get the love and appreciation they did. I know they had the undefeated, what, 72 team, 71 right. team, 16 and 0, whatever, 14 and 0. But God damn, I love me some Bob Greasy. Uh, yeah, Bob Greasy didn't, he didn't get to play all the, the whole year, did he? And he wasn't a flashy guy. No, he was a manage, game manager. I mean, they ran the ball, uh, ball and he played defense, For, which yeah. is a formula, which is a formula for success. Yeah, but they are definitely underappreciated. I'm not a big fighting porpoises fan, but anyway. <laughs> Anyways, let's uh, let's move on, bro. Right on. I hope uh, hope Corey's liking this. You know, oh, I'm he realizing will. he's probably listening. To, it's probably it's he's probably a big Bengal homer, so he'll like it. <laughs> it's probably Tuesday at work, and he's listening to this while while I've just walked past him on my way to receiving or something. <laughs> and he'll give me. Every time he listens to the podcast, he kind of throws his head up and gives me a thumbs up or works. So I know that's when he's listening to the podcast. Right. So th this was for you, you Cincinnati Bengals homer. This is your team. So <laughs> so he's officially cashed in his favorites. January 2nd. This is his Christmas present. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're moving on to 74. They break even that season at seven, seven and seven. Uh, but. This is also a pretty a pretty uh, celebratory season for Ken Anderson. He won his first of four NFL passing crowns. He posted a league best ninety five point seven QB rating with uh, two hundred thirteen completions on three hundred twenty eight attempts, which is about sixty five percent. Threw for uh, twenty six hundred yards, which you got to think where the NFL was at in seventy four. 2,600 yards at that time was the equivalent of probably about 3,500 to 4,000 yeah, yards a day. Yeah, every bit of it. So, so that's pretty impressive. He threw 18 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. Uh, and then in a November 10th win against the Pittsburgh Steelers, God, I love doing that to you. <laughs> since the – you know, it seems like the – you know, three out, of last, it too. three out of the last five episodes we've done, you, we've done episodes that's featured my team losing. Once, you know, my Phillies losing to the Yankees in the World <laughs> Series, and then, you know, 
my Predators losing to your Pens in the stand. So I'm enjoying this. So in a November 10th win against the Steelers, Ken Anderson set a Bengals record for completion percentage by ringing up a 90.9% by connecting on 20 of 22 passes. So, yeah, there you go. Pretty impressive. You guys didn't have an answer. You know, Terry Bradshaw might have got four rings in the 70s, but, boy, you guys sure didn't have an answer for little old Kenny Anderson, did you? No, we did not. Uh, We were still piecing a a team together at that time, though, I believe. So so the Bengals were 7-4 through 11 games and were still a game and a half behind first place Pittsburgh, but then since – and Cincinnati lost its last three contests. The Bengals swept the Battle of Ohio series with Cleveland that year for the first time, winning 33-7 to at home in the season opener, and again 34-24 to in Game 5. Uh, the campaign was then preceded by uh, a pretty lofty or scary offseason. That's when, uh 74, the Players Association went on strike. Not all players were on board at the time. They were, you know, most teams welcomed willing veterans that wanted to go to camp to go to camp. The Bengals were in the top of teams that went to camp. Uh, so it seemed like they were going to be all right and get together. Uh, and then through the, in the middle of all this, the NFL was in a battle against uh, the World Football League, which was starting up. Another upstart, the WFL, the World Football. I had oh, a dig. Did. I had a dig for that. <laughs> Deep stats, bro. Well, here, here's a fun name for you. <clears throat> here's some old school football. Uh, I'm gonna throw out three names. Well, hang on. I'm, I'm gonna throw out th- three names. One of them was purged by the World Football League from the NFL. Um. That would be linebacker Bill Berge for the Philadelphia Eagles. When I think of Bill Berge, I always think of the St. Louis Cardinals. Excuse me, the Arizona Cardinals. They used to be the St. Louis Cardinals. Yes, they did. There was a lineman that they had that was a real vile, nasty, dirty son of a bitch. A dirty player would get inside the heads of all these players. guy by the name of Conrad Dobler. You remember Conrad Dobler? I've, I've heard of him, yes. Oh, man. There was another guy that was dirty like him, like him and Bill Berge, too, that was uh, played for the Raiders. See if you can remember that. Lyle. Alzado. Alzado. Yes. Yeah, he was a mean son of a bitch, dude. Uh, he had the size to back it up, too. Holy crap. Uh. So, well, hold on. Let me... Prior to the preseason, the Bengals were in the thick of an NFL battle against player raids by the new World Football League. As they disputed the World Football League, Philadelphia's franchise signing of star linebacker Bill Berge to a contract began in 76, although Berge was still obligated to play for the Cincinnati Bengals through 1975. The Bengals lost that battle in court, but the decision wound up being for nothing. Berge's offers from the unstable new league eventually fell through, and on July 10th of 1974, Cincinnati traded Bill Berge to the Philadelphia Eagles for a first-round draft choices in 76 and 77. And that would be, you know, Bill Berge would then go on to have numerous feuds with uh, St. Louis Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals, offensive lineman Conrad Dobler, who was probably one of the most dirtiest players in the history of the NFL, but everybody... Players hated to play against 
Conrad Dobler. But off the field, everybody spoke highly of him when they wasn't calling him a cheating son of a bitch. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so here we are up to 75, Kurt. All right. So uh, I think this was I, I think this was so much better than trying to go through a game-by-game breakdown of an entire uh, – Yeah. I would have went fucking nuts. We'd have recorded seven hours. Yeah, for sure. I got to smoke another one, bro. Lucky strike. Four dollars and eighty cents a pack at Huck's. Five oh one a pack anywhere else. Damn it, baby. So in their final season with Paul Brown as head coach in nineteen seventy five, before he stepped down, the Bengals opened with six straight wins and went on to post an eleven and three record. Uh, their plus differential in yards per game eighty one point two. Uh, stands as a franchise record. They were 361.4 yards offensively versus 280.2 defensively. So that's not bad. The team set a franchise record for fumble recoveries per game, averaging two a game, but two of Cincinnati's losses were to rival Pittsburgh, and the Steelers took the division title at 12-2, setting up their drive to Super Bowl X. Uh, fun fact, who'd they play in Super Bowl X? Minnesota. Was it Minnesota? I thought I it was so. the Cowboys. Uh, in 75? I, I, or 76? 75. 75. Well, it might have been the Cowboys. Because they won it in 76 and they played the Vikings. I think. I can't remember. It's not important. It's not important. Uh, no. Anyways, the Bengals qualified as the AFC wild card for the playoffs but had to play on the road at Oakland which also had finished 11-3, and the Raiders beat him 31-28 with an outstanding Bengals rally as Ken Anderson led the team back from a 31-14 deficit, just falling short. Although he would win his second of four NFL passing championships and also was named the Dodge NFL Man of the Year, an award reflecting both athletic and civic achievement. Attempts to revive the injury-plagued career of iconic QB Greg Cook ended on July 9th when the Bengals allowed Kansas City to claim him on waivers, which I know they were still high on him, but at that point, you're two or three seasons, four seasons in with Ken Anderson, and he just won his second passing title. So I know you had high hopes for what the hometown boy Greg Cook would have been, but it would have been time to cut bait a long time ago. Yep, yep. So – the Bengals would open uh, the preseason Hall of Fame game in Canton, play in Washington on August 2nd. Uh, they were estimated that day, which I just put this in there because I like random facts. They estimated that day that on-field temperature hit over 105 degrees. Whew. That's a hot day, son. Whew. Yes, sir. Uh, let's see here. Um Here's some more random deep stats. Prior to the season, Paul Brown hired Kim Wood as the first strength coach in franchise history, citing the need for a more comprehensive year-round conditioning program. Kim Wood would serve as the Bengals' strength and conditioning coach through 2002. Kim Wood is still alive, by the way, and you know me. I always manage to get a pro wrestling reference in every episode. (laughs) Ken, uh, Kim Wood was just featured this past season on the uh, great show called Dark Side of the Ring, uh, talking about uh, 
Flying Brian Pillman, an ex-Cincinnati Bengals player who is a professional wrestler who passed away in 1997. So, Kim Wood is very much still with us. Aren't he'd, be, you? Uh, he'd be pretty old then, wouldn't he? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Six, 70s, probably. Pretty, inter- pretty interesting. No, I didn't, uh, I've heard that name, but I did not know where... You know, got you started. That's pretty cool. How old have you been? Seventy six, five, five, or and just and just really starting to follow football. I've been five years old. Yeah, fucking Pittsburgh Steelers fan. <laughs> I can't help it. I bleed the black and gold. So on January first, nineteen seventy six, Paul Brown would step down as head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals while remaining general manager and overall chief executive. Brown coached 41 seasons at various levels of football, including dominance at the high school, the national championship at Ohio State, and NFL dynasty with the Browns. Uh, He led the expansion Bengals into the playoffs in their third season. His overall coaching record was 342, 126, and 15 for a winning percentage of 7 Two four, which ain't bad. That's pretty good. Uh, I got one thing I want to add there. I, I, I read there on Paul Brown. Uh, he drafted. Uh, he was after. He always drafted. He said he, he wanted to draft IQ. So a lot of the guys he drafted were like Harvard people. Uh, people went to Harvard and stuff like that. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Paul uh, Brown had a simple philosophy. He thought if you get smart guys, if they're go. if they're real smart and they're going to premier institutions, then they're thinkers. Which means yeah. they're not going to be quitters that are not going to, you know, get bully and throw down, throw a fight on the field. These are going to be guys that think because one thing people fail to understand is you lose your cool and you throw a fit. Penalty yards cost you games oh, at the end yeah, of the day. Sure. And you get an unsportsmanlike for, you know, co- uh, you know fighting or you, you, you get a holding call. Paul Brown believed that guys with high IQs going to prestige universities that were – Heavily vested in their academics, passing with A's and B's, were going to be good guys to put on the field. And and the record speaks for that too. That I think that's why I wanted to bring that up there. And yeah, it's pretty I, interesting. I, see, look at you. You were a vital part of this show. <laughs> well, I just have to remember, you know, looking. At, I, I I did do a little bit of research too, you know. Uh, well, I just thought that was worth noting, you know. Well, strap your panties on because we're only at seventy six and we got to go to twenty twenty. <laughs> just be thankful right. these are only like one or two pair and i'm not reading everything i'm just skimming it <laughs> do you know who? Got, go ahead i got all night bro well, i do too bro i got i got i got the laptop plugged in and the pod track's not running on batteries tonight it's plugged into the laptop so it can go all night there you go do you know who replaced paul brown as coach uh, a guy I, I've, I've never heard of until i did my research I'm not sure. I, I can't really remember. I, I, for some reason, I can't remember. I, I, it ain't Forrest Gregg, is it? No, it was, that was the next guy, I think. And, okay, that's This right. was a guy that's named right. Bill Tiger Johnson. I see, he was for some the, reason, I don't remember that. He was the offensive line coach, and he succeeded as uh, head coach. He led him to a 10-4 record, tied with the Steelers. But the Steelers won a tiebreaker game for the division title. And then they lost out eleven to three in what would have in the lone AFC wild card spot. Uh, their winning percentage at the time through current day 
is the highest winning percentage of any Cincinnati team to not make the playoffs at a .714. The Bengals entered the final regular season weekend, tied with Pittsburgh at 9-4, but then they clinched a playoff spot with a win against the Houston Oilers. The Bengals were playing only for pride the following day when they routed the New York Jets 42-3 in what would be the Jets' last appearance by Hall of Fame quarterback... Joe Namath. Joe Namath. Broadway Joe. Yep. Uh, let's see. And here's a name. Here, here, Here's a guy that doesn't get a lot of recognition. And honestly, I'm going to full out. You know, in my younger days, I was so invested in football history. And in my older days here now, I've kind of forgot about this guy. And he doesn't get a lot of love. Uh, the Bengals would acquire... Defensive end Coy Bacon in March 31 trade with San Diego for wide receiver Charlie Joyner. Yes, yes. Charlie don't uh, get a lot of talk and praise. Charlie Joyner was a hell of an athlete oh, for yeah, his for time. Sure. He's part of Eric Coriel, wasn't he? Might have been. I think so. I'm, I'm pretty sure he was. He went to San Diego then after uh, it was his, his stint with Cincinnati. I'm pretty sure he went to San Diego. Now, yeah. about two weeks ago, towards the end of the day, you came outside, walked past my desk, which, by the way, I have a desk work for the yeah, work people right. listening. I don't have a chair, so I just stand at my desk. You walked outside to throw your scrap in the scrap hopper, and you talked to Odiner, and yeah, you guys yeah. mentioned this. In the first round of the draft that year, they would select a Heisman Wait, excuse me, a two-time Heisman Trophy winner from Ohio State. Yes. Who would Archie that have Griffin. been? Archie, Archie Griffin. Griffin. And he would, pl- he would play for the Bengals through 1983. Uh, yeah, they, they had a good standing, a good running of, uh, good running game, but like I said, it complimented Ken Anderson's uh, air attack. I mean, pretty solid. So in 1977, head coach Bill Johnson, Bill Tiger Johnson, Posted a second straight winning record, eight and six, but the team would miss the playoffs. One game behind those damn AFC champion Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers. The Bengals would get a huge win in Game 15, beating Pittsburgh 17 to 10 in a Saturday afternoon at Riverfront Stadium with the temperature hovering near zero. Very very cold day in Cincinnati along the Ohio River that day. The, the game winters were just colder back then, man. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> Global warming, bro. Yeah, there you go. There right, you go. Right. Climate climate change. Right. Uh, the game would leave the teams tied for the division lead, but the Bengals were assured of winning a season-end tiebreaker based on a better point differential and their 1-1 season split with the Steelers. But on the final weekend, Pittsburgh would win 10-9 over San Diego, and the Bengals would lose at Houston, which we just talked about. Uh, let's see here. On November 13th of 76, uh, QB Ken Anderson and wide receiver Billy Brooks, another one of their first-round picks. They had two. Uh, Billy Brooks would team up for a 94-yard touchdown pass, which to my knowledge stands as the longest play touchdown pass in franchise history. Could be wrong. Uh, Let's see. And that would end the NFL's 17-year run of playing a 14-game regular season schedule, which they played from 61 through 77. 
And then we open in 1978 where the Bengals or where the league would start a 16-game season. Uh, And it was a very long 16-game season for Cincinnati. QB Ken Anderson missed the first four games with a broken bone in his right hand. And Bill Johnson would resign as head coach following an 0-5 start. So Bill Johnson would be replaced after five games by head coach, new head coach, Homer Rice, who had joined in 78 as a quarterback's coach. The team dropped to a 1-12 record before rallying to win the last three games. They would finish their season with a 48-16 thrashing of Cleveland, a 32-point winning margin that stood until 2015 as Cincinnati's largest win in the Battle of Ohio series. Um, let's see. Uh, nothing much else. July 26, Paul Brown's oldest son died of cancer. Paul Brown, uh, you know, uh, was not very, obviously, in a good state. The Bengal cheerleaders were new in 78. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> all right, we're going through 79 here, and then we're going to plug a sponsor after 79. Right on, bro. So, fullback Pete Johnson would yeah. run. Yeah, this guy was I'll a be movie. running. I'll be running about the 30. <laughs> I is that is that is that where that came from? Yes. yes so you you've Pete done Johnson. that at, you've done that at work numerous times. I never knew that was Pete Johnson. <laughs> at the interview he did. I mean, after a game, I can't remember which one it was. So it that was, was always. Pretty, so you were doing this long before the Bengals episode because you've done this before. I'll be running. Yeah, I'll be running about the thirty. Can he be there to throw me the ball? <laughs> 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 Great, uh, great running back though. I mean, uh, Bruiser, another Bruiser that you guys had. I, I wish I was at your house right now because I guarantee <laughs> when we, when we, as the further we get along, when we get to Icky Woods, I can almost see you standing up trying to do the Icky Shuffle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so seventy nine. Pete, damn it, you got me so excited. <laughs> Pete Johnson would power his way to fifteen touchdowns, a club record at the time. But the team would finish 4-12 and in its only full season under head coach Homer, Homer Rice, who was released by Paul Brown the day after the season finale. Uh, you know, they didn't have a bad defense, though. They just, I mean, they couldn't put together. They had a plus-15 mark in turnover differential. They had 44 takeaways to only 29 giveaways. And then That's on December 28th, Rice would be replaced by former Cleveland Browns head coach, Forrest Gregg, yeah. who would resign as the head coach of the Canadian Football League's Toronto Argonauts to take yeah. the job. Uh, during the season, though, controversy would rise up over the publication of the Paul Brown story, an autobiography written by Paul, Bla- Paul Brown in collaboration with sports writer Jack Clary, the book included uh, explicit and lengthy criticism of Cleveland Browns owner Art Modell, who had fired Brown as the coach in '62. Modell formed a Modell made a formal complaint to the NFL's league office, charging Brown with violating the league conduct policy on public criticism of other teams' management. Uh, Brown was eventually fined ten thousand dollars by Pete Rozelle, uh, who, by the way. His appointment as commissioner in 1960 came off the back of Brown lobbying for him. Uh, 
Paul Brown would say, I sent Pete the check for the fine, but I stand behind the book I have written. Fuck Art Modell. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, there was no love lost here. No. Sure. Uh, prior to the season on January 17th, the Bengals created the coaching staff's first full-time position in charge of special teams, hiring Frank Gans. And on November 14th, after an injury to center Blair Bush, center Bob Johnson came out of retirement and played the remainder of the season. Johnson was the team's original number one draft pick in 68, and when he hung up his cleats for good in 79, it marked the final departure of the last player who had been on the inaugural 68 team. Uh, Okay, so memorable players from the 70s. uh, Greg Cook, you know, the the biggest what-if in Bengals history. Right. Uh, Ken Anderson. Uh, which, you know, he plays in the 80s, so he'll be in here too. But, I mean, uh, we'll just go ahead and talk about him now. Anderson had 16 seasons as a Bengals. He was a four-time pro bowler, played in 192 games. Uh, He led the Bengals to their first Super Bowl appearance while winning the MVP in the league passing title in 81. Anderson is one of only five players in NFL history to win at least four passing titles and the only one to win consecutive passing titles in two different decades. He did it in 74-75 and 81-82. to He's uh, one of only five men to win at least four passing championships. His third one in 81 not only gave him the league MVP, but also comeback player of the year. Uh, basically, I just go uh, a whole lot of shit more about it. Uh, yeah. So, Good quarterback. Uh Let's see who else I got. Uh, Isaac Curtis played 73 to 84. He was a four-time Pro Bowler wide receiver, known for his speed and exceptional pass-catching ability. He played 12 seasons with the team and held the receiving yards record for 7,100 yards until 2007 when that was broke by either Chad Johnson or Hushman Zada. I don't remember which. I've got that in the... The thing, uh, Pete Johnson, seventy-seven to eighty-three. He was a large, large man. Yes, I'd be running. I'd be running about the thirty. Uh, he holds the team record for career touchdowns with seventy. Uh, Pat McAnally, yeah, wide Harvard. receiver and plurable punter, Harvard graduate. Yes, uh, he was the only player to attain a perfect score of fifty on the NFL intelligence test. He was the first Harvard graduate to ever play in a Pro Bowl and a Super Bowl. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not too sure if there's many punt, punters, wide receivers, neither. Ever well, you got to think. I mean, the league in the 70s wasn't what it was in the 50s. So you still had some two-way players, but they were starting right. to really phase out at that point. I just kind of thought he, there was an odd, you know, it was an odd combination, punter and wide Well, receiver. that is, but it also just a two-way player in general was – in the end yes. of the 70s, was pretty much phasing out. Right, right. Uh, so, I mean, how many more do I got down here for the 70s? Uh, it should be day? probably a Ken Riley. Yeah, I was. he's the very next one. I just passed over Coy Bacon. Uh, Ken right. Riley played 69 to 83. He was one of the best defensive backs all time, played corner. He set the team's single-season interception record with nine and has a career record of 65. And then his last season of play, he led the AFC with eight interceptions. Uh, At the time of his retirement, Ken Riley was number three in the NFL record book for all-time career interceptions. Uh, uh, Lamar Parrish is also on there. 
as well as Tommy Casanova. Now Reggie here, Williams? huh? Was Reggie Williams on there too? No, I didn't put him on nope. there. Put him on there. So okay. there's so the 1970s. I've got certain games of note here. Um, December 12th of 72, they set a team scoring record as they massacred the Houston Oilers 61 to 17. Uh, I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to pick out certain ones. December 22nd, 73, so almost a year, little over a year later, their second playoff game, the Bengals were once again on the road and then would fall to the eventual Super Bowl champion Miami Dolphins in the Miami Orange Bowl. Uh, November 10th of 74, we touched on this earlier, quarterback Ken Anderson completed 20 of 22 passes uh, as they beat the Steelers 72 to 10. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm just picking out certain games here. Uh, December 12th, 1976, during the final game of the season in New York City's Shea Stadium, Bengals defensive end Coy Bacon sacked Joe Namath four times in a 42-3 route. Uh, so that's impressive. Uh, October 22nd in, uh, 78, we got some Bungles history. <laughs> the Buffalo Bills beat the Bungles in the lowest scoring game in Bungles history. They beat them five to nothing. That's a safety and a field goal for all you out there. So, and here we go to the '80s. But before we go to the '80s, Kurt, right on. Let's uh, let's talk about better, somebody. Yeah, we better plug somebody. Those people that pay the bills. One day they will pay the bills. There you go. So check out check out Black Rifle Coffee Company. It's a veteran-owned company, and nothing Kurt and I love more than to plug veterans. They're the reasons that we get to do this podcast and speak like two idiots. But check out Black Rifle Coffee Company. Uh, they have a Facebook. They have a .com. They have a Twitter and Instagram. You can find them anywhere. Uh, they've got cool swag for men and women to wear, hats, coats, hoodies, T-shirts, they make some really good coffee. They have uh, umpteen different varieties of coffee as well as coffee beans. And they have some pretty great, tremendous energy drinks loaded in sugar that this fat diabetic can't have. Although they taste very good. But uh, check out, they got a little something for everybody. So check out Black Rifle Coffee Company today. Available at all your local convenience stores, Walmart, CVS, anywhere you shop. Uh, and as always, you know, put a little buck in the pockets of some uh, great veterans. So yes. That one's a quick yeah. one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it speaks for itself there. I mean, you know, one, one day we'll be famous enough and do such a good enough job that um, we don't even have to do live ad reads. I can just hit a button. We'll have fancy <laughs> tech equipment, uh, and, and they'll just roll right in the middle of the show. We don't got to do shit. <laughs> One of these days, bro. One of these days, we're gonna get some. We're gonna get a paid sponsorship. That's right. Okay, so you ready to talk about the eighties? Yeah. Yes. We've been talking an hour, and we just went through like uh, a decade plus two years. So we're we're moving good. I mean, I got all night, right. I guess. Right. So a Bing, the Bengals were a pretty successful team in the eighties. They reached the Super Bowl twice in the eighties. But overall, it can kind of be summed up as probably a, a decade of missed opportunities. The team would be coached by Forrest Gregg and Sam Weiss during the decade. The most significant change occurred prior to the 81 season. That's when they replaced their somewhat 
standard black jerseys at home and white jerseys on the road with some orange trim. And that's when they got rid of the orange Cleveland Browns helmet that just said Bengals, yes. and they put the tiger stripes on. Right. Yeah, I remember that. So that's important information to have right there, bud. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So in 1980, Forrest Gregg only managed a 6-10 and record in his first season as head coach, but he was laying the groundwork for what would be the Super Bowl run the following year. The first building block in that plan was drafting out of Southern California, USC, with the number three overall selection, a guy that would become a stalemate of the offensive line, a guy that would go on to become a pro football Hall of Famer, a Bengals Hall of Famer, a Bengals Ring of Honor member, offensive tackle. Anthony Munoz. Anthony Munoz, who 18 later, you know. He's a beast. Yeah, you know. Anyways, uh, he was widely endorsed at, by Force Gregg as Cincinnati's top choice. And uh, let's see here. Uh, Gregg himself was a Hall of Fame offensive tackle inducted in 77, so he had much love for Munoz. After drafting Munoz, the Bengals went to a high-profile contract negotiation with his agent, Munoz was signed just before training camp and was hyped as the NFL's first million-dollar offensive tackle, which uh, he was worth every fucking penny of it. Yes. Anthony Munoz is a universally well-liked guy. I don't know anybody that says anything bad about him. He's a class act. Uh, Maybe uh, Antonio Brown could take a lesson from him. (laughs) Absolutely. Huh? Uh, what a thug. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> a- God, AB had all the talent in the world, man. Yes, man. Anyways, uh, Force Greg would become a, uh, a hard ass on the players. Uh, he became the first Cincinnati coach to insist players wear sports coats and ties on road trips. Uh, if they found not to be, there would be fines and violations. Uh, on the field, QB Ken Anderson was injury plagued and wound up splitting time with Jack Thompson. Jack Thompson, excuse me. Uh, Greg notched two of his wins against the defending league champion Pittsburgh Steelers, but his club lost twice to the eventual AFC champion Cleveland Browns, which had fired him as the head coach. Anyways, not a lot to talk about in '77. Uh, so we're going to get to 81, and uh, I'm going to read my summary here, and then uh, I'll let you you take it from there because I know you want to touch on 81 and 88. So, not, The Bengals began the 81 season with a dramatically redesigned uniform, their signature striped helmets, da-da-da-da-da. Uh, they go to the Super Bowl. They lose. But before we get that, it was a foundational year for Bengals mania. Uh, Coach Forrest Griffin, or Forrest Griffin, that's MMA. Coach Forrest Gregg's second Bengals, second year Bengals, won the AFC Central Division by four games, 12 and four record. They won home playoff games over Buffalo and San Diego. They played the, they won 27 to seven in the Freezer Bowl against the Chargers. Uh, Their conditions of a minus 59 wind chill, one of the lowest in NFL history. Watched the game earlier. Uh, crazy. 46,000 people were standing there as frozen fucking cherubs 
bright cherry red noses and yeah and they had uh, the city had set up all kinds of different things for, uh, for people with frostbite or hat whatever you know yeah i mean it was pretty crazy it was uh definitely cold anyways Chuby Ken Anderson would earn the NFL's MVP honors that season. Uh, 29 t- passes or touchdown passes, 10 interceptions. He posted a 2.9 to 1 ratio, best in franchise history until 2015. Uh, tight end Dan Ross and a rookie wide receiver who is, uh, I know he gets hated by a lot of guys, but he's become one of my favorite football analysts. Do you know who that would have oh, been? Chris Collinsworth. Chris Collinsworth. Yeah, very solid receiver. I, I oh. People shit on him as an analyst. I love Chris Collinsworth. I, I absolutely I love too. Chris Collinsworth. When John Madden left Sunday Night Football with Al Michaels, I was so heartbroken. And then Collinsworth took over, and I'm like, man, I'm not too upset about this. Uh, Chris Collinsworth does a, a commendable job at which, yes. by the way, as we should mention, uh, you know, in between our la- this episode and our last one, we we uh, we lost John Madden. Yes. So, uh, John Madden tra- changed uh, football. Oh, yeah, for sure. And especially the football games. He he, you know, uh, I didn't realize that he had a win percentage like he did. Neither. Holy crap. But he he didn't coach that long, I guess. Boy, he was the perfect coach for the Raiders, wasn't he? Oh yeah, absolutely. And Al Davis, yeah, just win, baby. That's out. That's all you got to do. Keep Al Davis happy. Just win, baby. Win, baby. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what else we got? Uh, in '81, Pete Johnson set a club record of a thousand seventy-seven yards with twelve touchdowns. And you got to think, this was as a fullback. In 1981, they still use the full the fullback position is not utilized much these days. What do you what no, do you do with a fullback? You put a tight end in the backfield, or usually put a secondary running back. There is right. not a there has not been a traditional fullback in the league since Mike Allstott retired for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. 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 Or if you want to get technical, Lorenzo Neal was still playing in 05, 06, 07 ish for the uh, San Diego at the time, right. the San Diego Chargers. Right. Since then, there's not been a, a real fullback in the league. This is a position right. that is no longer. And yes, here it. you've you, you've got a big fullback clips in a thousand yards like he's a goddamn running back. Yes, yes. Very nimble footed for such a big guy. Holy crap. Reminds me Scary. of John Riggins. Yes. In a way. In a way. Uh, yeah. Shout out John sure. Riggins. Got a John Riggins rep- reference yeah. in. I like John Riggins. Uh, future Hall of Famer and, uh, you know, Anthony Munoz played his second season, earned a first of what would be his record 11 Pro Bowls back when the Pro Bowl fucking meant something, which it don't right. anymore. Right. Uh, uh yeah. I'm not even sure how they come up with the teams nowadays. The frontline trio of defensive ends, Ross Browner and Eddie Edwards and Wilson Litley, were uh, lights out. Linebacking core, Jim LeClaire, Reggie Williams, Glenn Cameron, Bo Harris. Pretty good core linebackers. Uh, Ken Riley, lights out in the secondary. Uh, For Ken Anderson, though, getting to his eventual season accolades was no easy journey. The year began with trade rumors. Of course, nothing happened. He went through the preseason in competition 
with Jack Thompson, who was the franchise's number one draft pick in 79. Anderson got a little nervous about this, you know, young rookie behind him. Shout out Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. I'm no way comparing Jack Thompson to Aaron Rodgers because that's not even competition. But uh, let's just say it lit a fire under Kenny Anderson's ass. Yep, nothing wrong with a little competition. Nothing wrong with it. And he went scorched earth. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Cincinnati fan base was in love with rookie wide receiver Chris Collinwords who would produce the franchise's first 1,000-yard receiving season and displayed a magnetic personality that could be considered a, I put in my notes, quote-unquote, a more humble, lesser version of Joe Namath. Yeah, right. Because in, in a way. Uh, in a way, yeah. Uh, Collinsworth became the first Bengals player to get four, featured on Sports Illustrated that year, and they've, they had four Pro Bowlers that year. Anderson, Collinsworth, Johnson, and Munoz. Paul Brown was named the NFL Executive of the Year. Tickets for the Super Bowl. And I should have... I remember putting this in my notes. I copy and pasted this one off of uh, the Cincinnati Inquirer newspaper. I should, have, I should have done this and I forgot about it. Tickets for Super Bowl 26 were only $40. At the wow. time, I don't know. Uh, you know what, Kurt? This is gonna bug me. <laughs> so, so uh, fill time. Let me uh, right. let me just look because this this is gonna bug me. So, <laughs> is that the Jeopardy theme song? Yeah, I think so. So forty dollars. It's all be good here. Yeah, so let me go. That would have been 81. I'm going to take a guess. In today's money, it'd probably be like 400 bucks or something like that. I'm just guessing. It says it's only $120, but ah. I, don't think that, I don't think that's right. No, I don't. I'm going to yeah. say it's more around $300. Yeah. yeah there you go. Regardless, I mean, there's... a. Ten different websites I can pull that information from. I'll get ten different answers, but the one I always go to. Uh, anyways, uh, moving on here. Let's finish my rap, and then you can rap a little. Uh, well, actually, I think that... Uh, so, it took four tries, but the AFL Central Division champion Bengals finally won a playoff game. Uh, they beat the Bills. Um, and I have a rundown of that game. Sorry, Corey. Not gonna, not gonna give it all. Then the AFC Championship Freezer Bowl. This one I will talk about. Uh, minus nine degree temperatures, wind chills, and wind gusting from 35 to 40 miles an hour made the wind chill minus 49 uh, this has become one of the top three most famous games in NFL history. It's known as the Freezer Bowl. No game to this day has ever been played with a colder wind chill. Brutal. Uh, brutal. God dang, man. Negative 59 wind chill. And uh, I, I remember one thing about that game. I watched it earlier today. Uh, and the offensive linemen for the Bengals were without sleeves. 
Can you imagine? I think that's a mentality factor. I, I think, it, number one, it's two things. Number one, I think it's stupidity because you're risking. <laughs> but also, I think it's a mind game. Like, your defensive yeah. linemen, they're like, okay, okay, to me, I know a lot of people hate boring battles, but to me, I love big old defensive linemen wrestling with big old offensive linemen. Game, games are won in the trenches there. Games are won in that. the trenches. Fucking and A, Lord. they are. So I think these defensive guys are like, these motherfuckers aren't wearing sleeves. Well, uh, one thing he was saying was it it, it it don't give them something extra to grab a hold of. You know what I mean? So he could grab a hold of it. I, yeah, I think it definitely was a mindset type deal. I mean, we had San Diego Chargers from sunny California, seventy degrees. Sunny you know? California. That's what I put in my notes. Here's these guys that are not <laughs> used to playing in cold yeah. environments. Yeah, and uh, I guarantee you. I guarantee you it was a mind uh, fuck. By that point in 81, it had to be Dan Fouts, a quarterback, right? Yes, yeah, it was. Right here, I got it right was. here in my notes. Yep, it was. You know them guys were, and this is 81, they had the heaters on the sideline by that point. You know these guys from California, no matter if they grew up in a, because, you know, you get drafted from all over the country. No matter if right. some of these guys grew up in cold weather environments, at that point in weather when you've been playing out in California, and now you oh. come back, you know they're standing in front of the heater while some of these stubborn-ass Bengals players are just sitting there on the bench like, fuck it, it's cold, but I ain't going to let them see I'm cold. Right. I Ed, guarantee you. Defensive yes. end Eddie Edwards suffered a frostbitten ear in that game. <laughs> I believe it. Crazy. Uh, so, uh, do you want to go through the Super Bowl or not? If I do... Uh, that- if I do, that, I was going to let you talk about it. Or. Well, I mean, it ain't that big a deal. I just wanted to just touch uh, on it. That just basically, you know, they made the Super Bowl that year in a short period of time, relatively, of being a franchise, you know. It, right. It's pretty uh, – and Ken Anderson, they – there was two – there was tough break losses, too, in the Super Bowl. I don't know. I, I really didn't have a whole lot to say about it, but I just wanted to touch on it. They did go to the Super Bowl in 81 and 88, so – Cincinnati would outgain San Francisco 81 yards, marking yeah. the first time in Super Bowl history the losing team led in scrimmage yards. Uh, Anderson set Super Bowl records, which have since been broken, uh, and I didn't look to see who broke them, but he set them for completions, 25, and completion percentage. Uh, his 300 passing yards doubled what 49ers QB legend Joe Montana had. But Cincinnati would give up four turnovers to San Francisco's one. Three of those giveaways led to 17 first-half points for the 49ers, who, for those that don't remember, and I obviously wasn't alive, thank God for YouTube and NFL films being a kid, uh, that score was 20 to nothing at halftime. Yes. Uh, But, you know, uh, Anderson brought him back. Uh, unfortunately, it just wasn't enough. You know, with 16 seconds left to go in the fourth quarter, the 49ers had a 26-21 to 21 lead, and they onside kick it. Yep. The rest is history. The, and San Francisco recovers it. Right. So... Valiant effort. I mean, and the turnovers, if, if I remember right, they were... Uh, man, they just... Oh, boy, tough break, you know. So, 82 was a big year in NFL history. Do you know why? Do you know what happened in 82? A strike season. Strike shortened season. So We had fill-in players, I think. Scrap, scrubs, whatever they call it. Yeah, replacement players. Yeah, the strike shortened season, uh, 
Uh, the Bengals would finish at seven and two. They were tied for the second best record in the AFC. Ken Anderson was back in form. He would win his fourth passing title. Um, and we just rattled off his accomplishments. Um, uh, Anderson also set a standing Bengals season record for passing yards per game at 277. Curtis and Collinsworth were in their second year as a Cadillac duo at wide receiver, uh, <laughs> helping him out. Uh, let's see what else I got. The defending AFC champion Bengals split their first two games, and then when play resumed after the strike, they established themselves again as one of the top clubs, winning four straight to stand at 5-1. and one. They were six and one in seven post-strike games, with the only loss being a memorable fifty to thirty-four Monday night shootout with Dan Fouts and Air Coriel. Uh, yes. Uh, let's see. Um, in one of the most stunning losses in Bengals history, Cincinnati opened an expanded playoff format by falling forty-four to seventeen to the underdog New York Jets. Uh, which broke some people's hearts. Uh, four Bengals went to the Pro Bowl. That would be Anderson, Collinsworth, Munoz, and tight end Dan Ross. The nine regular season games played were the fewest in the NFL since 1934. Uh, the Bengals were among the first to vote as a team to end the strike. And, you know, they got their first round playoff game. Uh, this was when they expand to a 16-team format, which is what we got now, I think. Okay, so nothing much. And 1983 was a bad year start to finish. The Bengals went 7-9, and dropping from the postseason pitcher after going 19-6 and over the last two years. But 1983 is also a big year in football history because in January of that year is when we have another attempt at taking over a football market as the NFL gets some competition. And do you remember what started there? Uh, oh, boy. No. The uh, USFL, yeah. the United States Football okay. League. I do remember that, yes. So uh, they pursued contracts with NFL players, including a number of future contracts. Uh, they would sign two Bengals players, guard Dave Lapham and tight end Dan Ross, to futures contracts for the new league in 84. And they would go there, but they played out their Bengals contracts for Cincinnati first. The biggest stunner to Cincinnati fans came on June 27th when their star wide receiver, Chris Collinsworth, signed a future contract to begin 85 with the USFL Tampa Bay Bun- uh, Bandits. But after a bunch of back and forth, Collinsworth ex- never went, and he wound up playing his uh, through 1988 with the Bengals. Um USFL almost cr- the USFL that ought to be an episode we ought to do. Uh, I agree because because yeah. that when the God so this is four years before I was born but boy I talk about some football history I loved when I first heard of, I first heard about the USFL I was probably about fifteen years old I was like what the fuck nobody challenges the NFL the NFL's the be all end all well apparently there was a league that was trying to called the USFL and they had a lot of guys signed to futures contracts uh, I believe. There's some high-profile quarterbacks that had something to do with that. Steve Young, maybe. Yeah. Uh, a couple of that. That ought to be a future episode. Yeah, I'd be a be good episode. Uh, yeah. Anyways, moving on. I'm not going to spend too much more about it. Uh, you know that. 
wasn't much about that season except uh, the Bengals rallied to finish six and three over the last nine. And fo- head coach Forrest Gregg was under contract through '84, but on December 24th, '83, uh, Gregg resigned with the team's blessing to take the head coaching job in Green Bay, where he played his way into hall- the Hall of Fame as an offensive tackle. And then on December 29th, the Bengals would replace Forrest Gregg with Indiana University head coach, former Bengals quarterback. Boomer. No, not Boomer. No. Sam Weish. Sam Weish. Yeah. You big. Oh, Weish on Boomer. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Good God. Despite the disappointing season, the Bengals led the NFL in total defense under Gregg and coordinator. Uh, Hank Bullock, uh, so in 1984, rookie head coach Sam Weiss took the Bengals on a ride that ended just short of a playoff berth. They started out 0-5 to finish 8-8. Uh, they destroyed Buffalo 52-21 in a season finale game. Uh, not a lot there that... Um, not not a lot to unpack in '84. Um, it says here Weish juggled his quarterbacks all season due to injuries or coaching decisions. Ken Anderson began to finish the year as the number one quarterback, starting nine games. But Rooker 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 rookie Boomer Esiason started four games. Eisen made his first of eventual 123 Bengals starts on October 7th when Houston. Uh, let's see here. The Bengals entered the April draft holding number one overall pick via their trade that sent their QB Jack Thompson to Tampa Bay. With the toss prospect, they selected BYU quarterback Steve Young. Having signed with the USFL Los Angeles Express, the Bengals traded the pick on April 5th to New England gaining two round one spots, which they used to take defensive end Pete Cook out of Maryland and guard Brian Blados of North Carolina. Uh, The Patriots would use the number one pick on Irving Fryer. And on May 29th, the Bengals made arguably the best straight player for player trade in franchise history, sending fullback Pete Johnson to San Diego for running back James Brooks. Johnson would prove to be on the downside of his career, while Brooks would have a stellar Bengals run through 1991. The year 1994 was and remains through 2017 the second time in club history that the Bengals to have three first-round picks. So, uh, 1985, I, I think of the Chicago Bears every time. Yeah, yeah me too. The Super Bowl shuffle, oh boy. So it ain't, I keep you on, man. I'm good to go though. You ain't tired on me, are you? Uh, no, I'm all right yet. Cause we gotta get through this. Well, we'll get to it. <sighs> okay. So if you fall asleep, I'll just hang up and vanish. <laughs> I ain't gonna fall asleep, bro. So in '85, the Bengals would finish seven. Corey better appreciate this. You know it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> man, I we can't do this again. <laughs> or we're going to have to break it down in multiple episodes. So in 85, the 79 Bengals would score a lights-out 441 points in Sam Weish's second season as head coach, which would be a club record at the time. 
but they're also allowed 437 points, which isn't that dominant. Uh, let's see. Uh, Bengals icon Ken Anderson would open the game as a starting quarterback, but he was 15 years into his career, and he would get passed in game three by second-year pro Boomer Esiason, who went on to pass for 27 touchdowns and just 12 interceptions. Uh, the team would rebound from an 0-3 start to stand 7-7 after beating Dallas 50-24. to And a playoff berth was clearly within range. But in Game 15, the Bengals lost 27-24 to the Redskins after leading 24 to – oh, excuse me, the Washington football team. After <laughs> losing 27-24 to and their own – always I can't stop saying it. It's just what I've known my whole it, life. Oh, it's hard wow. to yeah. – So, uh, anyways, they, they would lose – the day before their season finale at New England, they were eliminated and Cleveland became the division champ when Pittsburgh lost a Saturday game to the New York Giants. Prior to and during the season, the team had a number of high-profile personnel issues. Wide receiver Chris Collinsworth, uh, the, he resigned with uh, the team on the 27th of February. Isaac Curtis was released in July and retired. Russ Browner went to Houston of the USFL in spring and then re-signed with Cincinnati in August. Dan Ross, another player gone to USL, was reacquired by Cincinnati, was traded to Seattle. Uh, not a lot to talk about. 1986 was the second Bengals team and the last one through the decade to win 10 or more games and not make the playoffs, which the last time that happened would have been 2017. They lost their chance for a division title when they bombed 34-3 by eventual champ Cleveland in game 15. They stayed alive for a wild card berth to the very end. They beat the Jets 51-21 on the season's final Sunday, and they were set to qualify with Miami with a Miami win over the visiting New England Patriots on Monday night. But as many Bengal players gathered to watch, the Patriots won 34-27, taking the AFC title by a game, which would in turn eliminate the AFC Central Cincinnati Bengals from postseason contention. I just said a whole lot of shit right there. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm running. I mean, I'm running, and you're listening, so. Yeah, I mean, we're doing good. Uh, let's see. In July of that year, the NFL completed a successful defense of a million-dollar antitrust lawsuit against the United States Football League uh, damages. This this USL thing, we're going to have to do an episode on that at some point. Yeah. But, but basically, this wreaked havoc on the Bengals and a lot of teams, and uh, um, there ain't much else to talk about there. So we get into 1987. That was a great year. <laughs> it's the year I was born, son. Yeah. <laughs> The, the Bengals entered the season in 87 with big plans. They finished 10-6 and six in 86. Uh, unfortunately, those plans didn't happen. They started 1-1. One one. Uh, they lost to San Francisco despite having a lead in the ball to play with six seconds to go. After that loss in 87, the Players' Union went on strike again. Games scheduled for week three were canceled, and the next three games were played by replacement players. Cincinnati went one and two in the three replacement games. The replacement player strategy led to picketing by Bengals veterans outside the team's practice facilities. 
but replacement ball was effective in breaking the strike. A total of 85 NFL veterans crossed the picket lines to play in the first replacement games. And though the Bengals were a stronger union team than many, linebacker Reggie Williams was among one of the 85. The flow increased after the replacement weekend, though the Bengals had only one actual defection from the strike ranks as defensive end Eddie Edwards. But the veterans agreed league-wide return for Game 6 and beyond without settlement to their labor issues. The real Bengals could not get back together, though. They posted a 2-8 and re- record after their return for a 4-11 and overall team finish. The season ended with speculation that fourth-year head coach Sam Weish could be replaced. But Bengals owner and general manager Paul Brown announced December 30th the club would honor the final year of Weish's five-year contract. Paul Brown termed the 87 season as uh, an arboration. You know, White couldn't take the brunt of the blame because of the NFL strike had a lot to do with it. Uh, Brown and Weish, of course, were to be vindicated as they would go on to win the 88 AFC championship. Uh, Let's see here. The 1986, oh, excuse me, prior to the 87 campaign, the Bengals saw the end of an era as QB Ken Anderson announced his retirement on June 2nd. The 86 season had been Anderson's 16th as a Bengal, a term that stands through as the longest in franchise history. Anderson had participated in the team's spring minicamp, but changed his mind about a 17th season following a May exam where the doctor had told him, you're starting to wear out a little bit. Anderson will go on, quote, saying that there is life after football, and I want to make sure I continue to swing my golf clubs and enjoy life. (laughs) Right. So here's the other big year that I'll let you talk about. This is 1988. You want to talk about this? Uh, Basically, they made the Super Bowl again. It was a a young left-handed gunslinger at the helm, Boomer Esiason. Commentator now, I think, for CBS. What uh, other team did Boomer play for? The Jets, I think. The Jets. I think. He did. Okay, that's the right. Jets. I think just the Jets. Well, right. well I don't know. Wasn't he? I want to say Boomer was an Eagle at one point, too, wasn't he? Uh, I don't. I know it a Jet. Been. I feel like he. Didn't he do a one stop in. in uh, he very well could have, yeah. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm getting ready to look. I, I want to say he did one stint. I want to say he did one stint, but we're about to he find could out. Have Maybe not, though. I, I'm pretty sure he was a Jet. Arizona Cardinals, that's what it was, Okay. Kurt. Okay, was he not a Jet, though? So, he was He was Bengals, 84 to 92. He was a New York Jet from 93 to okay. 95. 96, Arizona Cardinals, and 97 okay. came back as a Bengal, which I'm assuming was a one-day contract to retire. No, he played He played the whole season. Okay. That So I was wrong. I thought it was – hey, it It was a bird. It was yeah, a bird yeah. at least. Yeah, right on. It was a bird at least. It was just a <laughs> yeah. cardinal and seven eagle. All right, wrong color and everything, but that's all right. I mean. Yeah. So, uh, they, so, so the 4-11 season in 87, you know how the NFL goes. Primetime games only go to teams that are playing really good. Right. So they didn't get a single primetime game in 88. 
They ended up going 12 and 4 in 88. Clinched home field advantage for the playoffs. Uh, they beat Seattle and Buffalo before losing to the 49ers. Again. Yes. And Nemesis there, I guess. Uh, and Joe Montana. Joe Montana. There's a reason he's better than a lot of people. Yes. Yes. Because he had Jerry Rice, Don Taylor. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was a new uh, era of offense, too, the West Coast offense. Remember that? Well, of course, that was, I that was, that I, I put that in my notes. Sam Weish was responsible for that. Yes. Uh, well, Bill Walsh, actually, who was, uh, wasn't he the 49ers head coach? Yes. yes. Walsh was a coordinator or a quarterback's coach or something on some of these Bengals organizations yes. prior. Yes. yes. Uh, one thing I want to talk about, I don't know if we're going to go through the whole Super Bowl postseason, 88. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. I, I don't recommend watching this unless you have a oh. strong stomach. You know, Cr- uh, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Yes. Tell yes. everybody what happened. Well, the first play of the game, wasn't it? Or first play from scrimmage on the when Cincinnati was on their first defensive possession. Yeah. I think, or what have yeah. You. Uh, uh, oh my gosh! And the camera, Terrible the injury. camera angle caught it. You seen it on camera? Oh, I can't watch it. It's it's bad. He uh, uh so Tim Cremai, he uh, he broke his leg. Anchor their defense, too, by the way. He broke his leg early in the first quarter. Uh, the TV cameras caught it. You got to think, oh. this is 1988, so everything's right there. They they caught it on camera, and uh, uh, there's yeah, certain crazy. injuries in sports you can look at and some you can't, and unless you have a really strong stomach, the human leg is not supposed to – I'm not even going to tell you what happened. Uh, just, right, just right. If, I mean, if you, if you like grim details and you like, you know – the human yeah, leg, watch it. Yes. the human leg's not supposed to bend at all, no. or not a lot. And even if it does bend, it's not supposed to bend like that. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ! Top five, horror. top five gruesome injuries I've ever seen. Oh yeah, for sure, horrible. Uh, and pretty much set the tone for that game too. Well, I mean. and then the night before, uh, their fullback Stanley Wilson, Stanley Jennings, or Wilson, Wilson or Jen- Wilson. Yeah. He missed the game Saturday night. He had a bad drug relapse. He didn't even show up to the fucking stadium. Yeah, cocaine. Imagine mm-hmm. imagine the next day when you wake up from your binger on a Monday morning and figure out you missed the Super Imagine <laughs> yeah, explaining that to your head coach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> bad deal. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, anyways... So- yeah, so so they lost uh, twenty to sixteen. Uh, and that was kind of what else I wanted to mention. I mean, it was another tough break Super Bowl. I mean, just things just. Well, I guess it wasn't meant to be, but. Oh boy. Some yeah. other fun stuff happened though in that season. Uh, Icky Woods was a fullback. He didn't make the Pro yeah. Bowl in his only full season as of his career. Uh, he rushed for a thousand plus yards. 15 touchdowns, and... He took he the be- league by storm, I mean... And he became known for... The Icky Shuffle. The Icky Shuffle. And to, to give you an idea of how popular this was, everybody was doing the Icky Shuffle. Uh, uh, yeah. Kentucky boy, NASCAR legend, Daryl Waltrip, was winning a bunch of races in 88. 
Waltrip would get out of his car and celebrate by doing the icky shuffle. shuffle. Uh, Good Morning America, where people were on there doing the icky shuffle. They took the league by storm and the nation by storm, really, this guy. Uh, He's a rookie, I guess, that year, wasn't he? His first Uh, year? Well, basically only year, actually. Yeah, well, because he he had a lot of uh, injuries. But uh, Sam Weish... Even though they lost, Sam Weish would be named the coach of the year uh, by the Riders Association. However, uh, the AP Press Coach of the Year, which is the more prestigious of the two, would go to Mike Ditka, whose team lost 28-3 in the championship game in an attempt to get back to the Super Bowl. Uh, Cincinnati's two playoff wins were with a high-level controversy over what people called unfair because of Sam Weish's hurry-up, no-huddle offense. Yeah, you you yep. think about the no-huddle offense, how often it's used today. That was all a result of Sam Weish. Weish that yeah. wasn't a big thing in the league until they brought it in. Uh, let's see here. Um, so, you know, basically they make the Super Bowl, they lose in '88. I'm not going to go through all that because we got to keep we got to keep rolling here. Uh, sorry, Corey, I'm giving you a lot of information. So 1989. So we'll get through this. We'll give the rundown of the '80s decade. Plug another sponsor, and then we can get to rolling. Kurt, I think yeah, we're might, at the halfway point. Might take a pee too there. Yeah. Well, you know, I can pause for that. Right. So let's let's get through this here. So in '89, they were the defending AFC champions. Uh, they were one of the NFL's power team. They won some games with some monstrous scores: uh, 41 to 10, 56 23, 42 to 7, 61 to 7. They played lights out in '89, uh, but they finished eight and eight out of the playoffs despite outscoring their opponents in the '89 season 404 to 285. Uh, their plus 119 point differential stood today, to the best of my knowledge, is the biggest plus in NFL history by a team without a winning record. Uh, they had a chance to make the wild card Christmas night with Minnesota. Uh, it didn't happen. Um, uh, it should be noted that in the late 80s, Sam Weish had a very public feud with Houston Oilers coach by the name of uh, Jerry Glanville. Bum. Jerry Glanville, yes. Not bum, Jerry Glanville. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Sam Weish has been on record as saying Glanville's a phony, a fraud, a douchebag, pretty much everything <laughs> under the sun. Uh, anyways... Uh, not a lot of news, really. Uh, Pete Rozelle would be replaced by Commissioner Paul Tagliabu, who would stay on until Roger Goodell took over for him in 2006. Um, so, memorable players from the 80s. Uh, Eddie Brown, he was a deep threat wide receiver oh, for yeah. him. Uh, he finished his career with 363 receptions for 6,100 yards. Uh, he was Brown's Rookie of the Year in 85. Uh, Ross Browner was a defensive end. Uh, he is the father of former Steelers offensive tackle Max Starks. Ah, okay. Did not know that, did you? 
Did not know that, no. Uh, Tim Crummy, of course, uh, 83 to 94. I'm just picking out some random ones here. Right. Uh, Rodney Holman, three-time Pro Bowl tight end from 82 to 92. Dan Ross, Pro Bowl tight end who played 79 to 85. Anthony Munoz, of course, uh, Chris Collinsworth. Uh, and Boomer Esiason, who would leave after 92, which we'll get to that. Icky Woods, 88 to 91. Icky okay. Woods was a fullback who balanced well on his halfback counterpart, James Brooks. Icky was famous for the Icky Shuffle dance, uh, but after two knee surgeries, his promising career was over. But as a rookie, he rushed for 1,066 yards, caught 21 passes for 199 yards, and scored an NFL rookie record 15 touchdowns in his first season. So then I've got, you know, the 1980s games of note, which I'm not going to go through these because we pretty much went through them all, so... I tell you what, bro, if you need to go to the bathroom, uh, go ahead. I'll plug us a sponsor here while you're gone. Right on. So, let's yeah, I'm headed that way right now. All righty. So, while Kurt's doing that, uh, Corey, I know you're listening to this, and it's probably at work. I probably have walked past you two or three times on the way to receiving. Turning paperwork, so I hope you appreciate this. So, let's plug another sponsor. So, guys, check out Main Street Designs LLC in Jasper, Indiana. It's a small family-owned business that specializes in laser engraving and direct garment printing. They offer vinyl decals and baby blankets. They can do baby blankets, excuse me, other personalized items for you or your business. They are a great bunch of people. I have uh, been in touch with them on Facebook numerous times. They've offered to make us all kinds of logos. Uh, But check them out. Main Street Designs, LLC, and Jasper. They'll ship all over the U.S. Give them a phone call at 812-661-7765. Great bunch of people. I just uh, shared some of their stuff on Facebook not that long ago, and they heart-reacted my post. They've offered to make me and Kurt's logo for us. They've offered to make hats for us. Eventually, I'm going to have them do that. Uh, We get some more listeners to uh, bounce us up a little bit here. But, uh, yeah, Main Street Designs, LLC. And I can hear Kurt back as I hear the mic. Yeah, I'm back. Hey, I got to tell you, we picked up nine downloads the other day. Oh, yeah? Just another random outlier day, nine downloads. They checked out Uh, nine episodes. Oh, good. Cool. Uh, where from? Uh, it looked like um, it, it didn't. I mean, I didn't. I don't remember where it's at. It was all U.S. based. It wasn't nothing international. Okay. So we did pick up another download. We did pick up another random download in uh, Canada, though. A. A. <laughs> right. Uh, so here we go. So. Now we're into the 90s. So good. We only got another 20 years left to go, Kurt. <laughs> so Paul Brown Paul Brown would pass away in 1991. Uh, before he passed away, he would transfer control of the team to his son, Mike, who is still in charge of the team to this day. Uh, but the 90s was not very uh, nice to the Bengals. That's where they got nicknamed the Bungles. The Bungles, yes. Uh, and they would begin a 
fairly long playoff drought, yes. which would last until 2005. Uh, they went through four different head coaches in the 90s, uh, yeah. Sam Weish, David Shula, Bruce Coslett, and, and Dick, Dick LeBeau. LeBeau. Yep. Uh, I mean, I really don't want to go through all the 90s. Like, I'm sorry, Corey. Like, I, I do, but I don't. Uh, the 90s were not – there's not much to talk about, but, I mean, we'll – We'll go through I mean, some of it. Uh, right. So in 1990, well, what were you going to say? Uh, just, we all do some notable players there, you know, uh, through that time period. Okay, uh, so why don't, why don't we do this? Let's let's just do this. Let, why don't we do this? Corey, I'm already giving you a lot of information. So it's not that I don't want to do this. I have fun, but I'm just looking at this, and I short-formed this and even short-formed this we still got another 20 fucking years to go through. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it's it's a lot, but it, I mean, it is the complete team history of the Cincinnati Bengals, an abbreviated team history of the Cincinnati Bengals. Right, right. Uh, you know what, Kurt? Let's just skip through 90. 90 was uh, a lot of information about a lot of bad shit that happened. Uh, right. Let's skip ahead. To 91. So that's when Paul Brown died. Uh, I mean, they were bad in the 90s. I mean, yeah. there really a whole lot to say. I mean, a, def- a December 24th, 1991, end of season meeting between Sam Weish and Mike Brown. The team announced Weish had unexpectedly resigned. Weish interpreted the events as his being fired. But to this day, Brown claims that there was no disagreement that his tenure had been ended. So on December 27th, the Bengals announced that wide receivers coach Dave Shula was promoted to replace Weish. Son, of course, was the legendary head coach, or the son of legendary head coach Don Shula. And at the time, he was 32 years old. He became the second youngest head coach in NFL history. Mike Brown and Sam Weish would go on to maintain cordial relations to this day. Uh, Weish would go on to join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as head coach from 92 to 95. Uh, Let's see what else we got here. 1992 was a big year. That was the franchise's 25th anniversary. They started 2-0 under new coach Shula with wins at Seattle and against the Los Angeles Raiders. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, they seemed like a lock to go three zero next week against an zero and two Green Bay team under rookie head coach Mike Holmgren. Uh, but little known Packers quarterback Brett Favre uh-huh. made the first splash of what would go on to become one of the greatest careers in NFL history. Uh, so there's that. Uh, at the end of '92, Bengals icon QB Boomer. Esiason was benched in favor of the 1992 top draft pick, David Klinger. I remember that, yeah. What in the fuck were they thinking? I, I don't know. Uh, and it, 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 turned, it turned out to be a bust uh, all the you way around. You think? Yeah, for sure. So the team said that they would try to accommodate him a trade, and early in 92 was the end of the line for rookie Woods, or rookie Icky Woods. Uh, let's see. Do I get to the boomer trade or not? 
Carl Pickens. Yeah. Rookie Carl of the Pick- year, wide receiver. I have one I have one of his rookie cards. Uh pretty pretty talented receiver. So what I have over the next seven years from ninety three to two thousand, every season they start arguing over the over a new stadium being built for the Bengals. So Riverfront Stadium's falling apart or whatever they say, and the the Reds are tired of sharing their stadium with the Bengals. The Bengals are tired of playing football in a baseball stadium. Uh, the Reds are tired of having their half of their stadium be a football field, and there's arguing. So the city basically is starting the process to construct a new baseball park and a new football stadium, two separate buildings, two separate facilities. And this takes like seven years for this to fucking happen. So a lot of the notes talk about that. Uh, Sorry, Corey, you have Google for that. Uh, I'm not being an ass, but trust me, bro. If you'd see all the information I put in here and I start reading it, you're going to listen to it work. Like, what the fuck? I don't care about this. (laughs) Guaranteed. But, you know, what I do is I put a whole bunch of shit in here because I never know what me and Kirk's going to need. Right. So, uh... I'm sure he'll understand. Yeah, he'll understand. Uh, so, you know, they make the trade. Boomer goes to in the the Jets. Yes. Uh, yeah. 95, 96 are bad years. Uh, 97, Boomer comes back to back up Jeff Blake, which I could have skipped, I guess. Or not skip. Jeff Blake was supposed to be the second coming. It was yeah. it was Blake Omania. I've got Jeff Blake's rookie card too. It was Blake Omania. And uh Darnay Scott and Carl Pickens. Carl right? Pickens. Carl Pickens. Yep. Uh let's see. Which they didn't Ferris the well neither for him, but you know. Yeah. So we're just kind of skipping through the 90s because it was bad. Oh, was January bad. 24th of 1998. Holy shit, that's a stink bug. Yeah, bro, they're bad this year, dude. So, dude, like, I've never... Okay, so i never even seen these animals before until I went to Tennessee three years ago. And they followed me home from Tennessee and Alabama. Uh, They're definitely... A- Honor, little critters. They're a nuisance. And they're ugly. I mean, I'm ugly too, but I'm a lot prettier than a stink bug. A stink bug? I mean, they just, what good is a stink bug? You gotta wonder. Not worth a damn. I agree. I, I've had trouble with them here too. Everybody's had trouble with them. I mean, it's what they kind of do, I guess. They like to come in for the winter. <clears throat> yeah, anyways. Where were we? January 24th, 98. Bengals offensive tackle Anthony Munoz was unanimously voted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He and Chicago Bears linebacker Mike Singletary became the 47th and 48th players to be elected in their first year of eligibility. Uh, what else we got for 98? Uh, nothing. The team kind of sucks. Sorry, Corey. Uh, more agreements about the stadium... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Steeler Neil O'Donnell to compete with Jeff Blake for the starting QB job. 
Uh, O'Donnell won the job in training camp, lost nine straight. Blake started games 14-15 before being injured. Halfback Corey Dillon rushed for 1,100 yards, uh, becoming the first Bengal and still the only Bengal to top 1,000 yards in his first two Cincinnati seasons. Uh, halfback Kajana Carter. That's a name I ain't heard in a while. Yeah. Kajana yeah. Carter. Uh, 99. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. Oh, which by the way, I should put in, in 1995, Cleveland would leave Cleveland to, to, so the Battle of Ohio series effectively stopped. Cleveland would leave Cleveland to go to Baltimore to become the Ravens. Now, what's interesting about this is the city of Cleveland was so attached to the Browns organization that part of our, the Models family and, and all the ruling is, I don't know all the legalities of it, but I can remember vividly seeing this. Uh, and then, well, I was, I was, fuck, I was eight and 95, and I remember seeing it then. I remember more about it being older, becoming a football, a, a better football fan in my teenage years. Basically, you guys can leave. You can go to Baltimore, get the fuck out. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. But you're not you're not taking the Browns team history or the team names. You guys right. go to Baltimore. You start 1996 as a Baltimore team. You are not the Baltimore Browns. You are the Baltimore whatever the fuck you want to be. Which and I'm not trying to be as explicit as I can. That was pretty much in no uncertain words. You go to Baltimore. You be whatever the fuck you want to be. Right. But you won't right. be the Baltimore Browns. So the Browns team history. Uh, team name, team likeness, colors, uniform, the whole work lays dormant until the Browns come back in, what was it? When did they come back? 99, I think. Tim Couch. 99, 2000, Tim Couch, University of Kentucky. Yep. So, yeah, so... uh, That was a bus, too, by the way. Tim Couch? Yeah. That's another guy I think, like, what if... Right, because in two thousand one or two thousand two, they made the postseason. Great, I mean, come on, man. Uh, Cordell Stewart, Greg, uh, Tommy Maddox, quarterbacks. You know, for the Steelers, the rivalry there. Uh, I don't think all this was Tim Couch's fault. I think that the city Cleveland was happy to get the Browns back, get a new team. I just don't think this was a well managed organization, evident by the fact that they've not been really relevant. Uh, until here, 2007 was a big year. They went 10 and six or 11 and five, missed the postseason. Uh, that Derek Anderson at quarterback. You had uh, Dante Stallworth and Braylon Edwards playing wide receiver. They had a good year, but uh, aside from that, I mean, that ain't all Tim Couch's fault. No, no, it's not. You got to surround it. You know, you, a quarterback is only, I mean, he can only do so much. You got to have skilled position players, too, um, which they did. And their defense was horrible, too. But anyway. So, so here's what I'm going to do. And I, and I can't believe I'm about to do this on you. So, we're almost to the end of the 90s. And we basically skipped through it because the 90s was the bungles. And what better way to honor the complete team history of the Bengals by making fun of the Bungles? <laughs> so we basically skipped over the 90s. So what I, here's what I'm proposing to you. 
I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I am extremely tired. So what I am proposing is uh, we stop recording tonight. Okay. I call you at noon tomorrow like we had planned. We pick up recording about an hour or two or whatever. Or if you if you sleep all day, you know you just call me, and then we'll pick up, we'll finish up, and then I'll just take both audio recordings and splice them together into one in post production. That, that sounds all right to me, dude. I mean, I understand. Because uh, I mean, I know you're a night owl like me. I know you might play an, an episode of Two K. I don't even think I'm gonna do anything but just go lay down. So. Right. So why don't we, well, don't why don't we, I mean, you know, I can even edit this part out, but honestly, I'm too lazy. So it'll be fun for them to listen to the fact that we're lazy, but <laughs> a bunch of old folks, yeah, right? we're a bunch, we're old, but me, you and luck, we're some old dogs. Yeah. And he's bugging me right now about one out again. So, so, so why don't we hang it up here? And then tomorrow uh, afternoon, I'll shoot, I'll call you about noon. If you're, hopefully you're awake. I'll, I'll be awake. Yeah. Okay. And then Come we'll on. just, we'll just pick up, bro. Right on, bro. All right, homie. I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, man. All right, later. Later. Okay, guys. So, yeah, this is the first time we've ever done this. I'm not backing out on an episode. I've just I've been awake most of the day. I had my little ones here. So, uh, if I'm not too lazy, I'll splice out this last two or three minutes of audio here tomorrow and erase it but basically what this just means is uh i've got pretty tech savvy over six months of doing this eight months i'm not complete tech savvy but i've got a little bit of tech savvy i love saying tech savvy so basically i'm just going to splice two files together to make one complete post not that hard to do any idiot can do it so uh we're going to end it here for now uh and come back tomorrow and finish up uh Corey, uh this is for you dog hope you enjoy it uh sorry I, I basically skipped through the 90s but honestly after looking at all the information i had i'm like man there there was a whole lot of information about nothing uh just failure after failure of the 90s so what better way to honor that if we're doing the team history than to than to bypass it so uh for kirk kelly who just signed off uh we will see you guys tomorrow Okay, we're back after the twelve-hour break. Man, I just got—I got tired last night, and I was just uh, like, "Hey, I'm done for the night." And then I went and laid down, or I went and sit back in the recliner, and thought I'd decompress for a minute. Ended up staying awake for four hours watching TV, passed out, and woke up about eight o'clock this morning. Went and laid down in bed, and didn't get back up till almost noon. That's when I texted you, "Hey, I overslept." Uh, that's all right, dude. I, I'd been up maybe twenty minutes when you text me. Look at that boy. We're a couple of, couple of bums. Yeah. yeah, a couple of bums, huh? Oh couple well. Of bums. I'm down in the basement now. The old man's up there upstairs making racket, making a little jerky. Right on. That sounds good. So I decided to come down here in the basement where there's no heat and it's colder than fuck. And <laughs> so uh, briefly to catch up, we we basically skipped over. Most of the year-by-year analysis of the 90s because they were the bungles. Right. But uh, I do want to point out a couple of things there. Let me uh, let me scroll down here. Uh, so we're just going to go through, because uh, I think we left off in 99. Right. I think it was where we was at. In 1999, they had a first-round quarterback, Achilles Smith. They benched Jeff Blake in favor of Achilles Smith, 
And that didn't work because Akili had a couple of good games, and then he shit the bed. <laughs> so, looking at the 90s as a whole, though, some memorable players that stand out was Lee Johnson, their punter, for 11 seasons. He set a Super Bowl record for the longest punt with 63 yards in Super Bowl 23. He played 11 seasons for the Bengals. Uh let me turn the mic here. My setup down here in the basement's weird. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm not happy with it, but whatever. Let me adjust my mic volume a little bit. Now I'm I'm coming through really loud. Uh, I sound good on mine. Yeah, you sound pretty good. Uh, Carl Pickens, of course, and Darnay Scott, uh, right. wide receiver trio or wide receiver duo with quarterback Jeff Blake. Uh, they kind of made the Bengals a high rolling offense. Uh, I mean, as high rolling as you can be without making the playoffs but uh some other notable players was uh cory dillon 1997-03 he was pretty controversial guy but he uh he had a high football iq he was extremely talented yeah uh he broke many league records which were broken in following years uh and his franchise, he set some Bengal franchise records, which would later be broke by Rudy Johnson in the mid 2000s. Uh, and he left prior to 2004 season, would go on to make history with the Boo New England Patriots. <laughs> Cheers. And one of my favorite guys, a longtime Buffalo Bill and uh, San Francisco 49er, I think, but he started out. I think he was a 49er. I could be wrong. I know he was definitely a Bill. 1998, they drafted linebacker Tekio Spikes. Yes. It was a bad, fearsome dude. I love yeah. Tekio Spikes. Definitely a good linebacker, yes. Oh, yeah. And then... uh <laughs> the they, and then, And then I put these four guys together because around the mid to late 90s, there were four guys that were drafted who, when put together, were supposed to be the, uh, how would you say it? They were supposed to be in charge with saving the franchise, rejuvenating the Bengals franchise. Right. That would be Kajana Carter, Dan Wilkinson, Akili Smith, and David Klingler. Uh, and none of those guys did any of those things. It just didn't pan out. It just sure. didn't pan out. Uh Dan Wilkinson was their first pick of the 94 draft, and he's the only one who remained in the league with other teams but never had the breakout season to warrant the first-round draft status that he had had. Uh, and then I put in here, as I did in, or in the 70s and 80s, there's some uh, games of note from the 90s. Uh, and de December 17th, 95, they would lose to Cleveland 26-10 in the last game ever played at Cleveland Municipal Stadium before they would become the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, December 4th and 97, running back Corey Dillon rushed for 246 yards on only 39 carries, breaking Jim Brown's rookie record. Uh, December 21st, 1997, Bengals quarterback Boomer Esiason would play his final NFL game. His last play was a 70-yard, 79-yard touchdown pass to wide receiver Darnay Scott. Uh, and then October 10th, 99, the Browns returned to the NFL uh, and would lose to the Bengals 18 to 17. 
So now the 2000s decade here, and uh, before we start that, you want to pay some bills? Yeah, let's pay some bills, man. Okay, let's pay some bills. So, Kurt's got a, a beautiful man beard. I'm confident in saying that. It's a very beautiful <laughs> beard. And for all you guys out there, you know, you're wondering how to keep your beard. I can't grow a beard. That's why, you know, I look. That's why I wear my goatee in shame. Uh, but for you guys out there that want to uh, exemplify your beard, check out Beauty and the Beard Co. on Facebook, thevisitor.com. That's Beauty and the Beard Co., not company, Co., C-O. They're a um, small company based in Marysville, Ohio. They, uh, I follow them on Facebook. They have... Uh, Seem to be doing well for themselves. Business seems to be picking up for them. Check them out. Uh, they have uh, great swag. They have soaps, beard kits, oils, the works, anything you need. And for our listeners, the ones that actually listen to the show, you can enter a discount code STEELTOES15 at checkout for great savings on all your purchases. So check out Beauty and the Beard Co. Like a good deal right there. Like a good deal. Dude, I feel like such a lazy bastard. Like, we should have kept going last night. But I tell you what, man, I had a busy weekend. And I was just tired. And then, I, of course, yeah, then of course, I sit down, and then I start watching the show, and I can't fall asleep. And then I pass out about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning on the couch. Well, it's just another reason why this, the remote <laughs> thing is a, a pretty good idea. I mean, I, you know, I mean, just for an occasion like that. The whole purpose I, of us getting this was just for winter recording when the – ice was on the road and we used it more now before we got any ice well it's, it's turned out to be pretty handy yes we're speaking of ice and snow we're supposed to get some this week i know and my four-wheel drive works in the truck on the days i drive the truck but there ain't no heat in the son of a bitch oh Ooh. <sighs> that's okay it's always one thing or another with me ain't it uh, it's like we're just not you it's, it's <laughs> it, 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 i mean it goes downhill man it go <laughs> goes in spurts don't it bro yes it does Okay, continuing. So, uh, also during the 2000 era, this would see them uh, kind of rejuvenate their their rivalry with their division rival, the Pittsburgh Steelers. It seemed like it got more amplified uh, yes, in definitely. the 2000s. Um, and we'll get there. Let me uh, scroll down. I think down. I know where that started, where it really started at. But we'll, Yeah, we'll, well, we'll no, get there in a minute. Well, I mean, where, where do you think it started at? I think it started with the uh, playoff game with Carson Palmer and the low hit by Kiwi uh, Van Olhoffen. Oh boy! I think that's that possibly where it started. Good so, chance. So, and you know, and one thing, one of the reasons we skipped the '90s decade was because one, I was lazy. Two, there wasn't that much to talk about because it was the Bungles area. And three, half my notes about that whole 90s decade was about them fighting with the city of Cincinnati and Hamilton County to get their new stadium built. Well, finally, in the year 2000, Paul Brown Stadium, which is where they play today, was opened on August 19th during the preseason. And they won in their home stadium debut in the preseason, 24-20 over the Chicago Bears, which uh, preseason don't mean shit. Uh, the stadium's grand opening regular season game on September 10th versus Cleveland. 
Uh, there was 64,000 fans at Paul Brown Stadium. They would go on. Uh, they would go on to lose their season, their regular season, uh, you know, opener there at home, uh, as the Browns would th- thrub them 24 to seven. Ouch. Yeah, Akili Smith uh, looking like Akili Smith. Uh, let's see here. What else we got? Uh, they started 0-3 in 2000, and then Bruce Coslett would resign as head coach. Do you know who replaced him? Uh, was it Shula? No, no. It was the assistant oh, head sorry. coach and the longtime Steelers defensive coordinator. Oh, Dick, Dick LeBeau. Dick yeah, Le- that's right. Dick LeBeau was named interim head coach. Under Dick LeBeau, they'd finish 4-9, including 4-6 and six in their final 10 games. And finished at 502 and 2 on the final four. On December 20th, 2000, Dick LeBeau would sign a multi year contract that which would start to begin in 2001. Uh, let's see here. Uh, on October 22nd versus Denver that season, an NFL record, a then NFL record, 278 yards rushing performance was had by Corey Dillon who went on to set a Bengals record, which would later be broken, of 14:35 for the season, which would be his second straight trip to the Pro Bowl. Uh, against Denver, Dillon broke a 1977 record of 275 set by Chicago's own sweetness, Walter Payton. Walter Payton. Your eclipse and Walter Payton, that's a good day at the office. Yes, I mean, absolutely. It's Walter Payton, bro. Sure bet, bro. He's one of the top ten running backs in history, maybe top five. Man, I like his running style, dude. Ugh. He wasn't scared to get in there and bruise. No. I mean, he could he be flashing. run out of bounds. Yeah, he could do it all. He could be flashy and go east and west, but he wasn't afraid to get in there north and south and bruise some people now. And uh, when it comes to running out of bounds, he was going to lower his shoulder and deliver a hit. He just wasn't going to run out of bounds. That's Man, uh, I, I like his running style for sure. I just put this in here because of uh, – I just put this in here because, you know, I, I've always liked Walter Payton. I wasn't much – I was I, I was kind of – Corey Dillon was kind of cool, and then he went to New England. But I just put it in here just because of the fact of your eclipse and Walter Payton's record. That's impressive. And uh, Dillon was stopped on 10 to 22 carries for one or fewer yards, but then he had five-plus – had five or more runs of 30-plus, including – Touchdown runs of 65 and 41. Corey Dillon, now you got to keep in mind, this is in the year 2000. So he's a young, cocky kid, been playing about three years now. He's still a young, cocky, probably 24, 25 year old kid. You got to keep that in mind. He said it just seemed like a high school game. There wasn't a damn thing they could do to stop me. <laughs> hey, ooh, well, well I mean, know. well, I mean, if, I guess hey. he's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I like. Don't get me wrong. I like confidence. And but there's a time good, and place for it, right? Yes, absolutely. And if you're good, it's. I mean, cocky. A little cocky is. <laughs> is all right, I guess. Let's let's but, let's hit you with some fun facts, okay? Right Dylan's on. Dylan's record, which eclipsed Sweetness Walter Payton's of 298 of 278 stood for an NFL record until September 14, 2003. Do you know who would have broken that record? And I'll give you a hint. He was co-league MVP that season, a running back. So he was co-MVP. There was two of them. 
he would have. Uh, I think he was co MVP. He also played for a AFC North division team. Boy. Big bruising running back, war number thirty one. Thirty one. Uh, played for the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Ander, no, Anderson. You're you're you Jamal, were close. Jamal, Jamal Lewis. 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 Yes. I had it on the tip of my tongue. Here, <laughs> he had a 295-yard game against Cleveland. Uh, <coughs> uh, bruising <laughs> running back. Another bruising running back. I love Jamal Lewis. I did, too. I thought he ran the ball very well. Uh, like any, the way he ran. Anyways, uh, the Denver game would be their first regular season win at Paul Brown Stadium. Uh, Akili Smith would open the year at starting quarterback, but as what has been seen, with you know, with him, you know, the last year or two, he he's not the guy that they thought he was. I don't. I look at Achilles Smith and I look at him and I'm like, is this one of the guys where it's like, hey, this could have been? And I'm gonna say no. Uh, I hate to to bust to bust the guy, but some guys just don't pan out from the get go. I have to agree. Yeah. Ryan Leaf is better off coaching high school football, which is what he does now or what he was doing after he got out of jail or whatever, uh, than playing in the NFL. Achilles Smith is better off as a there, high school there, coach. Yes. There is that there is a great big difference between college and, and the NFL. I mean You know, and I'll a, and I'll say this too. Uh, and I've and I've said this for years. I've said this for now. Granted, in the last couple of years, I ain't been as big as a football fan as what I used to be. But in the last couple of years, no offense, I've kind of had my head up my ass with all the things I've had going on in my personal life. I'm not devoting every day to looking at football stats like I used to. But I've said this since I have been a teenager in high school. The two positions that do not translate you think they would but the two positions that do not translate from college to the NFL the two positions that produce more busts in the NFL are quarterback and wide receiver everybody's like well what about running back well the running back you can kind of get wide receivers hard because you run routes right and with a running back you don't run routes it's just a hey go this way and don't lose the ball some of these guys just don't just don't pan out Achilles Smith and especially now you know being being I was 13 years old in 2000 you know I didn't understand I still didn't understand even at 13 a whole lot about playbooks and, and, and things of that nature but going back and looking on it over the last god damn it's 2022 22 years now the guy was never going to get it I mean obviously right. he could get it better than I did he played pro I never did me and Kurt are armchair quarterbacks <laughs> right but anyways uh I mean, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. They replaced I mean, it, they replaced him under center after November fifth when they got stomped out by Dallas in two thousand. When Aikman still been quarterback for Dallas, uh, I think so. I, I think he might. If, have been if he wasn't, if he wasn't, it was like he had just left. I can't remember. I but can't regardless, remember on November fifth of two thousand, Cincinnati would get stomped by Dallas, and they would replace him with a free agent quarterback that had last played, I think, for the Detroit Lions, which would be Scott Mitchell. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Scott Mitchell. Prior to the start of their season in 2000, on June 1st, they would cut bait with running back Kajana Carter. Uh, their injury plagued 1995 top draft pick. 
On July 20th, they would release Carl Pickens. Pickens left Darnay Scott as the clear-cut number one, but Scott would suffer a broken leg on training camp August 1st and would miss the season. So, in 2001, they'd get off to a 4-3 and three start with Dick LeBeau's first full season as head coach. Uh, unfortunately, they wouldn't win again until the final two games. They finished 6-10. and 10. The defense that season would finish ninth in the NFL, so you got a top 10 ranked defense. But the offense was absolutely atrocious as they ranked 23rd that season. They were pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, I so, like my Steelers this year. <laughs> who play tonight, by the way? Yeah. Yes, they do. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, so, of course, all this happens in the midst of 9-11. All the NFL's Week 2 games were postponed until the first weekend in January. Uh, so, in the midst of 9-11, the Bengals would resume play on September 23rd, moving with a uh, – they moved to a 2-0 victory at the time at Paul Brown Stadium. But by that time, uh, security procedures were completely out of – you know, it was just cracked out because right, of 9-11. Right. Ban on coolers, backpacks, oversized purses, which some of that stuff's still in play today. Uh, just a whole lot of, you know, a whole lot of stuff going on there. Uh, they ended up bringing free agent John Kitna in. Uh, he'd won a training camp battle with Scott Mitchell and Akili Smith. Um, the 01 season featured the Bengals' first visit to Pittsburgh's new Heinz Field. Um, uh, the 2001 season was the rookie season for one very flamboyant wide receiver who is Cincinnati's all-time leader in receptions and receiving yards. Uh, A second-round draft pick from Oregon State, Chad Ochocinco. Yep. Uh-oh. Fun fact, his rookie year, though, he... He, uh... His rookie year, he was kind of a he just kind of flew under the radar. He wasn't yeah, as, he wasn't as cocky and as mouthy his rookie year. Oregon State. I always thought he played for the Oregon Ducks. I guess he was a Beaver. He played for Oregon State. Right? Huh? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't sure. I wouldn't be sure on that either. Boy, he was flashy. Yeah, he was flashy, and uh, he took the league by storm. I mean, a lot of lot of controversy, a lot of. Uh, Praise? I don't know. He, he about touched all the bases, I think. I think so. Sorry, bro. How to fire up the lucky? Uh, no worries. I don't have an ashtray. Oh, here we go. I got some empty cans down here. <laughs> all right, Kurt. So Chad would just kind of let it let it be known that he was there, even though he was a he was an early second round pick. I'm gonna make a lot of noise. Uh, which he did in his rookie year, but he would later go on to make a hell of a lot of noise. Uh, so nothing much happens in, in 2001 there, and we're going to shoot right on to 2002. Uh, 2002 would be a big year in the NFL. Do you know why? Uh, the Houston Texans franchise would, would okay. be born, which would take us to 32 teams, which meant a total division realignment. Uh, which would put us to what we had, what we've had now for the last twenty years. We have a, we have a, 
eight four-team divisions. So the Bengals were able to keep with the Steelers and the Ravens, and the Baltimore Ravens completed the four-team lineup. So it's just kind of funny that the old Cleveland Browns and the new Cleveland Browns are in the same division. Same and then division, yeah. you keep uh, the Steelers with Cincinnati and the Steelers with the Browns. So it was just exciting. Uh, yeah, I like it. Unfortunately, sorry, Corey. I'm sure you know this. This was only 20 years ago. The 2002 season would see them finish 2-14, and 14, uh, the worst record in franchise history. They got hit hard by injuries. They were the league's second highest uh, team to... Oh, I'll change it around. The team was hit hard by injuries, losing the league's second highest number of games by starters. Uh the offense got off to a slow start as another free agent signing at quarterback, Gus Farratt. You remember Gus Farratt? Yes, I do remember Gus Farratt. Yeah. Gus Farratt. That's a name. I don't know when we're ever going to talk about Gus Farratt again. What do you remember about uh, Gus Farratt? I have great college credentials. Once again, did not the translate to the NFL. It, it just didn't translate, no. For you whatever know- reason. I mean... It's a different game. It's a men and boys thing, I think. That's true. I mean. John Kitna would return to the number one QB role after Gus Farrakh kind of flamed out. And for the first time since 1989, Cincinnati had a 3,000-yard passer with Kitna, a 1,000-yard rusher with Corey Dillon, and a 1,000-yard receiver with Chad Johnson. Uh, Johnson would have the first of his record 31 games of 100 receiving yards on November 10th against Baltimore. Uh, On October 27, 2002, versus the Tennessee Titans, Corey Dillon uh, would bring his career total to 6,500 yards. Uh, He would pass James Brooks into the all-time franchise lead that he still holds today with 8,000 yards. The Bengals would set some team records for pass completions with 350, which has since broken. But the team was 0 7 before getting a win against the expansion Houston Texans. The defense didn't play that good that year. They only had nine touchdowns allowed. Um, And on December 30th, 2002, it would be announced that a year after signing an extension, head coach Dick LeBeau would not be retained for 2003. Where would Dick Dick LeBeau go? You're going back to Pittsburgh. Going back to Pittsburgh, become the defense, the longtime defensive coordinator. Coordinator, yes. But here we go. And this is where Corey's going to start to get excited. <laughs> so 2003, I was 16 years old. Well, I was 15. I'd been 16 that summer. January 14th, the new era of the Cincinnati Bengals began. Marvin Lewis was introduced as the ninth head coach in franchise history. He would, quote, or uh, President Mike Brown would go, quote, say, we have turned over a new leaf. You're about to see a new Cincinnati Bengals get ready for a decade of dominance, which he was kind of right. I mean, there was no Super Bowl, so it wasn't extremely dominating, but they were pretty decent during the regular seasons. Uh, let's see. Uh, I thought I heard luck in the background. Yeah, he did. I, I, hold on here a second. I mean, go ahead. I, I gotta get up. Thanks, somebody knocked. Well, somebody knocked. I mean, go ahead. Uh, there's nobody here. Ain't nobody here. 
nope. I was like, he's here. He's here and things. I was like, if you need to go. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, I wasn't expecting anybody anyway. But there ain't nobody here. So (sighs) Marvin Lewis, when he came in as the head coach, he was one of the defensive coordinators or one of the defensive coaches something. He was part of that 2000s Raven team, which I still say is one of the NFL's top ten greatest defensive ever those 2000 Ravens, he helped get them a Super Bowl, so he's coming in with a high, you know, whatever. Uh, he started implementing his shit, and they finished 8-8. Eight and eight. So they were six games better than the year before. Uh, they missed the playoffs. They were eliminated on the final weekend of the season. But the six-game improvement that they had was uh, the biggest of any team from the prior season. Uh, let's see. He would Lewis would finish second to Bill Belichick in the AP voting for Coach of the Year. Um, let's see here. Chad Johnson would lead the AFC with 1,300 yards. He signed a five-year contract extension. Uh, prior to the season, they had the number one overall pick in the draft, and for the ter- third time in history, they chose a. Player out of Southern California. You know who that would have been? Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer. Look at the big brain on Kurt. <laughs> yeah. Hey, boy. In all yeah, actuality, it. in all actuality, Palmer would be signed on April 24th, uh, just days before the actual draft, and the Bengals took the option to execute an early signing. He did not play as a rookie, though, which baffles me. Uh, veteran John Kitna was the only QB to play every offensive snap for the team. Palmer would go on to set numerous records down the line. Uh, <clears throat> Achilles Smith, their unsuccessful first-round QB in 99. Did Achilles Smith play at Tennessee? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Was he the guy that uh, surpassed Peyton Manning or not? Uh, you know what? I'm going go to go to Google. I'm going to go to Google because it's just bugging me. And this is our show, so we can hold up the... Was he the guy that replaced Peyton? Uh, or not? I can't remember. I want to say Because no, there was a guy that replaced Peyton in Tennessee that they were running their mouth that he was better than Peyton, and yet Peyton had a better career. No, he played for Oregon. Okay. He played for Oregon. Okay. He was the third quarterback taken behind Couch for the Browns and Donovan McNabb for the Eagles. Huh. Yeah, I wasn't sure on that either. Oh. He he never played and he never played as a starter again in the NFL. They released him. He would sign Achilles Smith would go on to sign with the Packers in 03, spend two years on the practice squad, 05 for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers practice squad. He would go on to play for NFL Europa and the Canadian Football League. Born August 21st, 1975 in San Diego, California. I don't know why it was but I wonder who the guy was that replaced Peyton. It's not important. Uh, let's see here. In an ironic twist... I put, uh-oh. I skipped a little bit too. There we go. In an ironic twist, before the season started, they hired Rick Hunley as the linebacker's coach. Hunley, of course, would be in a first-round choice as a linebacker in 1984, but he never... St- Signed with Cincinnati, staging the longest holdout in franchise history before being traded to Denver in October of 84. So, 
There's 03, so the seeds are the seeds are laid now. So here we go. In 2004, the second season under Marvin Lewis, the Bengals continued their rebuilding process. They had a second straight 8-8 eight and eight finish. So you're not winning, but you're not losing. You're finishing 500, so it's meh. Right. Uh, all eight games at Paul Brown Stadium in the year 2004 were sold outs. The first regular season sellout since 1992 at Riverfront Stadium. Uh, the regular season attendance was over 500,000 the first time they broke a half a million mark. Uh, and the team, the fact that they even finished 500 was pretty incredible given the fact that they had severe injuries. 18 players were placed on IR that season. Uh, second year quarterback Carson Palmer would see his first playing time though. Palmer, uh, had not played a game while backing up Kitna. Palmer started the first 13 games before missing the final three with a knee injury. Running back Rudy Johnson rushed for a club record 1,454 yards, a mark he would later broke. Uh, of course, they had let Corey Dillon go in the offseason. He went to New England. Uh, the Pro Bowl quartet, they had four of them. Uh, Chad Johnson, Rudy Johnson. Offensive tackle, Willie Anderson, who, by the way, uh, Willie Anderson's a hell of an offensive lineman. Oh, yeah. Uh, and cornerback, Torrey James. Uh, kicker, Shane Graham, one of my favorite kickers. He set a club record with 122 points, which would later be passed by Mike Nugent. Uh, they, had a new home, they had a new artificial turf uh, put on that season. Uh they had grass fields from 2003, but they had switched due to durability and complaining of the high cost of maintaining grass fields. That's something else that amazes me. Every 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 league is different. Some guys have grass, some guys have artificial turf, and it's you would think that the NFL would set a mandate on what uh, you would have to have. What I mean, I think it should be natural grass myself, but. I'm not a big artificial turf fan, but you know I think there's more injuries on artificial turf than there is grass. Uh, ab- absolutely, yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, they made some jersey changes again. Nothing real big. Uh, they had some all orange uh, alternate jerseys. Um, anyways, bunch of random useless information here. Let's keep scrolling. I mean. Uh- just to kind of like a, what the, what's your take on the indoor football? Uh, I, I indoor stadiums, I, you got to have artificial turf. Can't grow grass indoors. Well, I mean, well, I, mean, I guess you your, could. There's some dopers out there that would say different. But <laughs> My take is, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, man, I think football is meant to be played in the elements myself. That's, a, you know, whatever. So. I think... I think you're right. I th- football's meant to be played outside, but then you get these, you know, like the desert in Arizona can't be playing outside when it's 112 degrees. They don't want to uh, be. So, I mean, inside this air, I don't, I don't know. Personally, yeah. I like I like it when it's, you know, zero degrees outside and these guys are running and every breath they take, they're about to die because yeah. of the cold. Yeah, I mean, that's football to me, but, uh, you know. Uh, okay, uh, where are we at here? November 28th, the Bengals played in what remained as one of the second highest games, or one of the second highest. This is dumb, my words. They play what remains as one of the second highest. How can you have one of the second highest? It's either second highest or not. <laughs> See, sometimes 
I get my notes fucked up. Sometimes I copy and paste things that are fucked up. And this was my notes here, not a copy and paste. And that's how retarded it sounded. They played in one, what remains as one of the second. How the fuck? It's so dumb. Anyways, they played in a 58 to 48 home win against Cleveland, which was a total of 106 points scored. Uh, they scored double figures in all four quarters, which is uh, one of only four times that's happened in team history. And of course, you know Corey Dillon was traded for New Eng- to New England for a second round draft pick. Uh, so we get to 2005. Uh, head coach Marvin Lewis' third season. They returned to the playoffs. Finally, they won the AFC North Division with an 11 and five record. Now, and I want I want to before we go any further, I want I want you to think about this. So I've made it be noticed and clear that you know there's there's some age difference between me and you, right? 15 years, whatever, give or take. He's born in 71. I was born in 87. So the 2005-2006 NFL season would have been September of 05 through the first part of 06. So that would have been my senior year in high school. And right. 05 and 06, my senior year of high school, I was enamored in football. I was having conversations with my friends I'd met in internet chat rooms about football every day. I was watching game. NFL Network was was really starting to blow up. It had been around two or three years, four years at that point. It's really blowing up. The Bengals were in the news like every day. The Colts were the hot team that year. If you remember, they had won like yes. they were like twelve and zero, thirteen and zero. Yes. Fucking Steelers. Mike Vanderjat, Roman Harper, <laughs> Jerome Bettis fumble. Fucking yeah. division. Anyways, but the. The Bengals were in the news that season every day because they were I mean they finished 11 and 5 but they were hot they were rolling they were a rolling offense. Yeah, Carson Palmer was not a bust. No, he was not. Uh Carson would post a 101.1 QB rating, a Bengals record at the time. Uh he got lost to a serious knee injury on the club's second offensive snap by former's Bingo Former Bengal Kimo Vaughn Alfen. Alhoffen. Alhoffen. I think that's where this bad blood starts, I think. So, on the play, Palmer had launched a 66 yard bomb to wide receiver Chris Henry, who is no longer with us, by the way. And and that's something else at the time. Uh, You know, 05, 06, 07. I don't remember when Chris Henry passed away. It was 07, 08, 09, somewhere in there. I could be wrong. We'll find it's late. It's in the notes later. But there for a while, they had a trio of wide receivers. You had <laughs> Hushman's out on one side. Very you talented. had Chad on the other. You'd put Chris Henry in the slot, or sometimes they would switch it. Very rarely did I ever see Chad go in the slot. It yeah, would alternate it between Chris Henry and Hushman's Zada. Who? Uh, that's a trio right there. That's a pretty good trio, yes. And then you got Carson Palmer throwing to him. That's. Yeah. That's formidable. But anyways, yeah. he he would launch a bomb to Chris Henry. Uh, I thought I broke down the play more. I guess I didn't. Okay. I could still see it in my mind right oh, yeah. now. I mean, yeah. It, it was. They clinched ah. their they clinched the AFC North Division in 05 with a forty one to twenty seven win over the Detroit Lions in Game fourteen. 
Uh, a number of individual single-season club records were set that season, including two that still stand, I think. Which, uh, 10 interceptions by cornerback uh, Delpha O'Neal, who was one of my favorite corners. 1,400-plus uh, rushing yards by Rudy Johnson. Five Bengals went to the Pro Bowl that season. Uh, let's see. Scroll down. That was Palmer, uh, O'Neal, Willie Anderson, Shane Graham, and Chad Johnson. The season's home crowds included the top four attendance figures in franchise history at that time, headed by a 66,000-plus fan base for the Bengals-Steelers game on October 23rd. Uh, two Bengals, uh, I guess you would call them the voices of the Bengals, passed away in 05. Phil Samp was the radio play-by-play guy from 68 to 90. He died on March 10, 2005. And Tom Kinder, the stadium's public address announcer from 68 to 04, had died on April 10th. So, uh, But anyways, here we go. So they, they go into the wild card round. So I think the Bengals were the three seed. They play the wild card game against the Steelers who was the sixth seed. So for the third time this season, we're getting Steelers-Bengals. They're at Paul Brown Stadium. Uh, this is the Bengals' first postseason appearance in 15 years. Uh, Carson Palmer got lost to a serious knee injury, though, which we talked about. He, uh, he the hell of a hit. I thought I had it in here. I, I don't. I know what hit you're talking about. I watched it happen. I mean, they you were know, I'm 18 deep, years deep in old. their own territory, right? Well, you go ahead and tell it. I can I can see it in my mind now. I watched it. I was an 18-year-old high school senior, but go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, well, it was, they were deep on their own. It was the long pass to uh, Henry. And uh, after the pass, shortly after, uh, Olhoffen come in low and, uh, well, hit him in the knee. It was pretty gruesome, man. Hit him in the fucking knee hard, too. Hard. Yeah, and I, I will say... He could have held up. It looked like to me. Some say, well, well he was pushed, but it, the replays clearly showed he should have held up. It was a late it, hit. It was a late hit, yes. Roughing the passer. Uh, roughing the passer. No doubt about it. No doubt. So, Kit, uh, John Kitna was still the backup quarterback then. Uh, he hadn't went to Detroit yet. So, Kitna would come in, take over. They go into halftime. Cincinnati's leading 17 to 14. But they come out the second half, and here you go, Roethlisberger in his second season. Uh, he's not going to be denied, you know. You know, yeah. he, 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 we all know the story. You know, they're 15 1 in 2004. They get fucked in the playoffs. Bus is going to retire, and we all know the story. It's legendary. It happened. This isn't hearsay. It happened. He pulled Bettis aside, Roethlisberger, and's like, you come back one more year, I'll get you a yep. Super Bowl ring in your hometown of Detroit. I promise. Yep. So with that on his mind, they come out the second half, uh, and they just dominate. The defense plays better, uh, and they shut the Bengals' offense down. The offense had just six first downs and 105 yards in the second half. (laughs) Failed to score a point. The Steelers used a botched snap on a Bengals' field goal and two INTs thrown by Kitna to kind of control the second half, and they would go on to win, and Pittsburgh would go on to the divisional round as the sixth seed. 
and in the game that we will not talk about until we cover the Colts episode, which we still have in the can, and I might even omit that from from the record books. Well, I mean, it was the season before the 06 Colts, but it, it kind of laid the groundwork for what happened. But, I mean, you know, the right. fucking Steelers win the Super Bowl. The bus stops in hometown of Detroit, and it's over. Yeah, yeah. which is fitting, I guess. Oh, God, listen to you. <laughs> yeah. So, here we go. 2000. Don't you? I'm sorry to interrupt. Don't you think that's kind of where this rivalry started, though? The Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, the kind of a well that, that play right there. I mean, is, it's been a rivalry for for years. Yeah, years. But years. It kind of got soft because rekindled. Yeah. Well, to be honest, the Steelers and the Bengals both kind of sucked. sucked in the '90s. Oh yeah. Yes. And a rivalry is only good when everybody's really in touch with what's going on and what gets you right. in touch and in tune and excited is seeing two teams that are perennial contenders every year and i'm not saying the Bengals, after having been out of the postseason for 15 fucking years was contenders but man when when you you know in the early 2000s mid 2000s and stuff this team was they had the tools in place they could have made a run at any time they were legit yes so for the so in 2006 for the first time in uh 14, 15 years, they sold out every one of their home games before the season. And a waiting list had to be established for new season ticket holders. So the average attendance for all eight home games at Paul Brown Stadium was just under 66,000. You gotta go party left. Uh, you're all right. I gotta let look. Yeah. Okay. I, I can run this. Right on. Okay. I, I'm still with you. Okay. Uh, I thought you were – okay. But so, I, I can watch him. Like, I can talk move around at the same time yet. Oh, luck, Come dog. Up. I can't wait to yeah. see him in a couple weeks. Yeah, he'd be looking forward to seeing you. He likes company. <laughs> he's, there you he, go. He's, he's a good old potty. He's a good boy. Yeah, he is. He's an old dog. Anyways, anyways. So prior to the season in 06, after – three or four years, they they go ahead and they give Marvin Lewis a contract extension through 2010. So they give him a contract extension for another four years. Uh, Lewis completed his fourth season by joining Paul Brown as the only Bengals head coach to go four straight seasons without a losing record. But And though the team remained in contention until the final weekend, they missed the playoffs in, in, in uh, 2006, finishing 8-8. Eight and eight. They lost their last three games after standing eight and five, and a win in either of the two final games would have gave them a postseason berth. Uh, sorry, Corey, I'm not going to break your heart there by telling you how they lost because I decided. I guess I didn't put that in my notes. <laughs> so, uh, so Carson Palmer after that nasty late unsportsmanlike, very, very unsportsmanlike uh, roughing the passer hit against division rival the Steelers. Uh, Carson had promised all season that he would he would be ready to go game one of the regular season, in and he was. Carson started every game in 2006. That's tough, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a gruesome injury. That was a terrible injury. He set a club record. Um... With 4,035 passing yards. Uh, and he won the MVP in the Pro Bowl, which, I mean, it's it's 
the Pro Bowl then still meant a little something. Right. It does not mean much now. No, I am not even sure how they come up with the teams. No, but in at least in 06, it still meant something. I can't believe it's 06. I was 15 years ago. Yeah, I know. I know. I, gra- I graduated. I've done nothing with my life, Kurt. <laughs> the season was notable for uh, Chad Johnson, though the uh, because in the in the off season in March of '06, in the off season for the '06 season, they had that the, the NFL players owner or the NFL owners decided that they needed to do something about the ridiculousness of touchdown celebrations, which at that time were running crazy by guys like Terrell Owens, Chad Johnson, Javon Walker of the Denver Broncos, Randy Moss, and Chad had been probably the most flamboyant with some of it. Uh, They decided to to clamp down on that and start increasing penalties. Uh, In April, they signed Chad Johnson to a contract extension through 2011, he would be featured on the Sports Illustrated cover in October, and for the season, he became the only Bengal to lead the NFL in receiving yards with 1369. Uh, he set a still-standing Bengals record for receiving yards in a game with 260 on November 12th against the San Diego Chargers, and with 190 the next week against the New Orleans Saints. He would set an NFL record for receiving yards in consecutive games with 450. And also in 2006, Ocho Cinco would become the only player to lead the AFC or NFC in receiving yards for a fourth consecutive season. No player has done it since, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, what other kind of Bengals history we got here? I got something I can see here about uh, a Hamilton County, Ohio lawsuit. What is, what is this? Oh, hang on! You know me; I put a whole bunch of shit in because I never know what I'm going to need. In February, federal judge Arthur Spagel dismissed a Hamilton County lawsuit against the Bengals regarding the Paul Brown Stadium lease. Oh, okay. Ending two years of legal disputes. Uh, in March, the Bengals and the Buffalo Bills were the only NFL team to vote against a new collective bargaining agreement with the players deeming it unnecessary, and as time would pass, numerous owners and analysts would in hindsight praise the Bengals and Bills' stance. Uh, Although the 2006 agreement about the CBA, uh, by a lot of people's standards, would would lead to the lockout, the league-wide lockout, during the 2011 offseason. Uh... If you're racket, if you're racket, it's just me. I'm uh, whipping up some dinner for for luck or you? For me and luck too. It's only two thirty, bro. Well, I'm hungry, bro. <laughs> That's true. I don't know what I'm gonna eat tonight. I went and grabbed me some Mickey D's last night when I told you I was going to get food before we started recording last night. Right. Went and got me a ten piece nugget and a McDouble. That sounds pretty dang good. Really. And I smashed, bro. <laughs> I'll fix and make me some sausage and eggs. Breakfast for dinner. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. So do you so want to hear? If, if you hear a little bit of racket, it's just me, okay? And if, 
you, I, you got your earbuds I, in? Yeah. <laughs> yep, moving around. And, yeah. Just you like really a, like those earbuds, don't you? I do. They're pretty cool. I, I like. Do you ever put them on when you're watching film, or is it just for when we're remote recording? Uh, just when we're remote. No, but recording. you can hear us pretty good with them, man, can't you? Oh yeah, for sure. And you're, uh, I do use them on 2K too every once in a while. That mic, that little mic attached to them is a powerful little mic. That was a that was a twenty dollars set of earbuds, but it kind of works more like a forty fifty dollars set. Uh, yes. Uh, pretty but, cool, man. So, so you want a little laughter? You want to put a little humor in this episode? Yes, for sure. So the 2006 Cincinnati Bengals were among a number of NFL teams that had voiced concern over rowdy fan behavior at NFL games the past few seasons. So the club installed a quote-unquote jerk line that fans could call during games to report problems in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> a jerk a jerk line jerk line yes that's pretty funny so uh anyways yeah, you know uh there there was some tragedy that happened uh well i mean it wasn't like a death tragedy but there was some serious tragedy linebacker david pollock who was cincinnati's top draft choice the year before suffered what would go on to be a career-ending neck fracture and the home opener against cleveland uh, he, he thank God, thank the Lord above, he was never paralyzed. He made a full recovery, but after Luck. after some oh, consti- I'm sorry. Luck. I'm about to go chase him, dude. What's he doing? No, well, there's another dog out back here. Luck. <laughs> Old Bart. Luck, get over here. He thinks he's young, man. Oh yeah, you all see him going after. You know how he hobbles around all the time. Yeah. Let him see something out of the yard. You'll see him move. He moves pretty good yet. But then he'll pay for it here in a minute. Is All he right, I'm, I'm back. Is he, he, coming? He, he stopped. Yeah, he, he run him off the territory here. And he's out of sight. Oh, boy. He's an old, he's a grumpy oh, old man. A, yeah, he is. It's a freaking cat. I see what it is. Now, I thought it was another dog with a cat. <laughs> oh, boy. But anyways, Pollock, Pollock would never make a comeback. He decided against it. He would move into a successful career as a sports broadcaster. Uh, so we get into 2007. Uh, some interest, something interesting here, just you know, random stats. A survey taken by Harris Interactive, released in February of 07, would say that Paul Brown Stadium was the only football stadium to make the list of America's favorite 150 buildings and structures. I thought that was pretty random. I just threw it in there. Yeah, interesting. I didn't, I didn't fact I didn't fact check that, but uh, uh anyways. I'd say yeah. Anyways, uh they beat out such sports venues as Wrigley Field, Yankee Stadium. Anyways, uh for the second straight year they would sell out all their games before the season began. Uh the team entered 2007 with some high expectations. The first two home games were selected for ESPN Monday Night Football, but the season's first half ended with a disappointing 2-6 and six record, and the second half rally lifted the club to finish with a season record of 7-9. to nine. So they go 5-4, and four, whatever. So 7-9. The first losing season for Marv Lewis, uh, Hushmanzada tied for the league receptions title with 112. Set a club record, which still stands today. 
and becoming the only Bengal ever to get a share of the league lead. Uh, Chad Johnson would break his own team receiving yards record with 1440. Um, kicker Shane Graham was playing lights out. Uh, 31 of 34 field goals percentage uh, 91.2. So, uh, let's see here. Well, I'm just trying to look and see what else is prevalent. Not much. Not much, really, about 2007. Um, I do have the October 28th game against Pittsburgh. Uh, established the franchise record for single-game attendance with uh, 66,000, I think it said. Um, That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. For sure. 2008 uh, did not have a good year. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Corey. 2008, they finished 4-11-1. There's your tie, Kurt. Yeah, yeah, I just can't handle it, dude. I just don't get it. So anytime we're at work and we're talking sports with any of the guys there and they talk about ties, Kurt literally loses his mind. He goes, how are you supposed to tie in a game? I I, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Uh, They they sent 23 players to IR. uh, And the list of 23 did not include the biggest missing name, QB Palmer. So why did I say QB Palmer for? QB Palmer. <laughs> hey, he was a QB. Uh, did not include Carson Palmer, who stayed on the roster all season, but only played in four games due to an elbow injury. Do you know who would back up Palmer in 08? Just shot in the dark. I'm just asking you. Oh, man. Foggy years, dude. Uh, the Amish <sighs> rifle. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick, okay. That was back before his. That was back before the beard looked like. Uh, anyways, uh, the team would go four three and one in the second half, but that was only after an zero and eight start. Uh, the offense was record lows in many statistical categories. The defense was promising under new coordinator Mike Zimmer. Uh, Rising to number 12 in the league. The 13-13 tie on November 16th against Philadelphia was the NFL's first tie since 2002, and some players on both teams would admit they had been expecting the contest to continue when the 15-minute overtime ended scoreless, not realizing NFL games could still end in ties. I was one of the people in 2008. I do not remember ties in 2002. I did not know. I was one of the fan going, you can't tie in an NFL fucking game. I agree. I just don't like I didn't know you could. I didn't know that was a thing. So, uh, yeah. Uh, But apparently, that was not the only tie in Bengals history. So, would you like another deep stat? Yes. The Bengals had one other tie against Bum Phillips and the Houston Oilers in 1969. Would that have been Bum Phillips? In 69? Yeah, I think it would have been. It would have been... Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it could be wrong. But anyways... Uh, what a colorful name. That, that, game, that game was just regulation, though, because overtime hadn't been adopted by the NFL in 69. Uh, here you go. Here's a little humor for you. On August 29th, 
2008, Chad Johnson would legally change his name to Chad Ocho Cinco. <laughs> yeah, you got to wonder, folks. You got to wonder. You know, right. you know yeah. why I love this guy so much? Because he was such a part of my teenage years and the few years after I graduated high school, you know, 03, 04, 05, just all the way up. He was so fun. He said three things in life, death, taxes, and 85 going to score. Death, taxes, <laughs> and Ocho Cinco can't be stopped. Uh, yeah. And, and he was right for the most part. I mean. I follow Chad on Twitter, and it, it, it is never a dull moment. So oh, like, yeah, I can imagine. So, like, so you know I'm always telling you I'm going to make you a Facebook. So I've had Facebook since 2007, and I got locked right. out of my account a few like three years ago so i had to make a new account but anyways i've i set me up a twitter account in 2010 and i and i would go in spurts where i'd be on twitter for a few days and then i would and then you know off and on i'd check in once every couple of months on it and about a month now i've been all over twitter it's like sank its claws in me and you know i've got it's a little more free base than facebook i can get away with a little more shit on there right but chad johnson is you know, he is a huge soccer guy. Really? He talks about soccer on Twitter all the time. He is a huge soccer guy. Really? And with all okay. due res- with all due respect, what's one thing we're never going to talk about on this show? Soccer. Soccer. I cannot get... Now, that's not to say we might not reference something like Pele's done or something, you know, because Pele... Right. But, I mean, there's never going to be a full-length soccer episode. No, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, agreed. So, anyways, sorry, sorry, all you soccer fans out there, but uh, that's no. that's in the new show opening, the new script I wrote, right? For us, that's that's in the new show opening. I just can't get into <laughs> soccer. I've tried, and you're like, I, we're not doing soccer. Yeah, not happening. Okay, so let me keep going on. Hey, good news is we've only got about uh, 11 more years to go, but at this rate, that should only be about another hour maybe. Right. So, uh, and I forgot to put in a word association, but I'm, I got some of them. We're going to go up on the fly. Okay. Works for me. So, um, let me see. Uh, let me see here. Anything here. Good Lord, don't let this pig die in vain. That's right. <laughs> I, lo- I don't know. I don't know any man that don't love good pork. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah. So this was the this was the thing. He legally changed his name, but he was not permitted to have the new name on his jersey until after the 2009 season, after he had fulfilled his contractual obligations regarding the purchase of the existing licensed Johnson merchandise. So what he did is he had a velcro patch or something put on the back of his jersey that said ocho cinco and he kept getting fined for it every week so he'd take it off get fined pay the fine put it back on take it off get fined put it back on or so they say i do remember him having it on there a few times and having to take it off uh but uh other than that 2008 uh they Wave their talented but troubled linebacker uh, Odell Thurman, who had been a rookie sensation in 2005. Thurman had not played in 06 or 07 and had been suspended by the NFL for various behavior issues. 
And on May 19th, 2008, Bengals coach Marvin Lewis said the team had not seen the right steps taken by Thurman to justify another chance to play for Cincinnati. And unfortunately, Odell Thurman would not play again anywhere in the NFL. I don't know what happened to him. Uh, but 2007, 8, 9, 10, something coming up somewhere around here. Uh, they have several players who were suspended and in trouble with the law. They, it, there was some people at the time I can remember they were calling it uh, Thug Natty or uh, Cincy Gangsters or something. Just all kind of stupid names. Just right. making fun of the Bengals because at the time they had more players in the NFL with you know lawsuits pending against them and arrests and warrants out for it it was a clusterfuck it was the inmates right. running the asylum <laughs> um all right so okay hey we got 2009 we get through this we'll plug another sponsor and then we're in the 2010s 20 teens right on so in 2009 they came back from a disappointing injury plague 2008 season the Bengals would win their second division championship under head coach Marvin Lewis, finishing with a 10 and 6 record. Their march to the AFC North title included a 6 and 0 mark in division games, marking the only time in franchise history Cincinnati swept every division opponent. And then they would get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs, losing 24 to 14 to the guys who would lose to the Indianapolis Colts. In the AFC Championship game. I know you're stumped. You're thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. Rex, uh, Rex Ryan coach team. Or Rex Ryan coach team. Jets. The New York Jets. Look yeah, at you go. Good. Well, I mean, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for the tip there and the clue. I mean, I was struggling to find it. You know, Rex no, Ryan don't get a lot. Rex Ryan don't get a lot of credit. Uh, his Him and his brother, Rob. Of course, uh. You remember Buddy, Ryan. Buddy Ryan, yeah. their their dad, Buddy Ryan, Rex and Rob, uh, they come from a deep defensive pedigree there. Yes. Uh, Rex didn't get a fair shake as a head coach. No, no, he didn't. Uh, the Jets are the Jets because they're the fucking Jets. Hey, the Yankees do Yankee things, right? Right. The Jets do right. Jets things, Jet which thing. is they lose yeah. and they lose horribly. Yes, yes. And they, imagine any, they can find any way to lose. If, and, they'll find, and they'll do it, yeah. If Rex Ryan could have had a better offense or just a game manager, that might have been a they different story. It could have been, yes. I agree. Uh, unfortunately, the Bengals would go through some tragedy. Oh, here it is. Here it is, Kurt. Uh, in the 2009 season, uh, defensive coordinator Mike Zimmer's wife, Vicky passed away unexpectedly on October 8th. And then on December 17th, wide receiver Chris Henry died in North Carolina from injuries suffered in an automobile accident after falling from a moving pickup truck. Ooh. Henry was not with the team at the time of this injury. He had been recuperating from a forearm injury. Uh, the Bengals would charter a plane for the team to attend Henry's funeral in New Orleans. Uh, let's see... Commissioner Roger Goodell would attend as well. He's not a very popular guy. No. He was liked in the beginning. When he took over in 2006, the first couple of years, he was liked in the beginning. And then, boy, his popularity rating would uh, 
Tank. Which certainly tank, almost like our president. You got anything you want to say about our president? Uh, well, better not. Not nothing, nothing. I'm giving you a free uh, chance. Oh boy, I better better not. Okay, okay, okay. He's doing his best he can. Hey man, what do I always say? No matter what party you're affiliated with, rooting for your president to fail is like rooting for your pilot to run you into a fucking mountain. Yeah, yeah I mean, agreed, agreed. Uh, anyways, uh. The Bengals would finish fourth in the NFL in uh, defense that season, though, under Zimmer. So the defense is coming back around. Uh, the team would suffer a, a home loss in the season opener against Denver. Uh, they would rebound to win their next four. The Bengals would uh, – oh, I'm just – I'm getting ready to talk about that game. I don't care about that. It, it was a heartbreaking game. Uh, they would they – would, uh, yeah. Anyways. I thought I went through it, but apparently I didn't. I tell you what, I really did a shitty job on prep and notes these last two, and I've had plenty of time to prep. This was a bigger undertaking than what I thought, and I didn't structure this as good as I did. You know, sometimes just, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, no worries, bro. No worries. No worries. I mean, no worries. we can't all just be the film watcher. <laughs> That's right. Hey, but I appreciate what you do because if I stumble at something, you're usually there to pick it up with like, well, I watched this, and then we just we segue back. So right, uh, I will say that it's it's a little bit tougher over remote because I can't see you. You know what I mean? So right. That 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 would be the only drawback I would say to the remote. I mean, because we cue a lot on each other, you know, just by being able to look at each other. You yeah, know? yeah. So. But we're doing all right. Bro. We're doing all right. Yeah. So October 25th of that season, uh, they played the Chicago Bears. At that time, their running back was Cedric Benson, the former Chicago Bear, the team which he uh, was a first-round draft pick for, second or third overall in 2005, 2006, whatever it was. Uh, the Bengals would beat Chicago 45-10, to uh, NFL Network would report that Benson's rushing total was the most by a player against his former team in league history. And, oh, here we go. And this this was funny. So, Chad Johnson being Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, uh, long known for his mischievous on-field antics, Chad would log his last significant end zone celebration as a Bengal on November 8th versus Baltimore where he playfully offered a dollar bill to the officiating crew as they were discussing a ruling on the field. The NFL was not impressed, and Chad was fined $25,000. I mean, come on, Ojo. He pulled a dollar bill out of his tights and offered it to <laughs> the fucking officials. I, you know, I, I... And, you know, I, I, I got a question, uh, uh, does that reflect coaching? I mean, where does that is I don't know, because like Marvin Lewis kept a pretty tight leash on some of these guys. Well, obviously not a tight leash because they were always in trouble, but... Well, I mean, either coaching it or you're condoning it, right? <laughs> Dude, that's got to be the greatest one. Like, Terrell Owens had the Sharpie. You know, I think Chad or Randy Moss had the cell phone, or maybe that was T.O. that had the cell phone in the goalpost. They called their mama to celebrate. Or you know, something, but it, 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 Well, yeah, and you know, and the thing of it is, if if you win, 
it gets overlooked, okay? But when it's, you start to lose it and these things are happening, and then you got to wonder, okay, I mean, just my take on it. I mean, are they coaching it or are they just condoning it? I don't know. You got to wonder. But, yeah, I'll go on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. no. It's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what's your take on that? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I know I know what I would be. I, I wouldn't condone it. I definitely wouldn't coach it, either one. But it's got to be one of the two if it still goes on, you know. But anyway. It'd, it'd be a hard job, dude. I tell you right now, coach all them guys like that. They have all that money. And <laughs> so here we go. So here, here, so so we're at the end of the 2000s decade here. So let's go through some memorable players. Uh, Carson Palmer, of course. You know, 2002 Heisman Trophy winner, first Bengals player to have a hundred plus passer rating for the season. He broke several team records. Um, do, 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 do. let's keep going here. Uh, Chad Johnson, Rudy back, tail Johnson, fullback Jeremy Johnson. Uh, Rudy broke the team record for rushing yards in consecutive years. Chad would be Chad and would become the all time team leader in receptions and receiving yards. Uh, Willie Anderson and Levi Jones, the tackles. Um, Anchors on the line. Uh, Shane Graham, Hushman Zada. Uh, let's see. Okay, here we go. Here we, now we have uh, notable games of note. September 24, 2000, the Ravens destroyed the Bengals 37 to nothing. Um,. And then, of course, we talked about Corey Dillon's game in October 22nd, 2000. Uh, the October, December 8th, 2002, the Panthers were dropped 52 points on the Bengals. Um, the most the Bengals ever surrendered. Uh, AFC. So then there's the wild card game so and then I just just uh one little thing i want to put from 2000 to 2005 uh the Bengals began to emerge from more than a decade of being the bungles uh the only team that could be probably worse than them would be the arizona cardinals or the detroit lions into a new era of increased consistency under marvin lewis this success led to the combination of guys like Delpha O'Neill, Rudy Johnson, Chad Johnson, TJ Hushmanzada, Carson Palmer. Uh, something else I have, uh, Paul Brown Stadium was built for the 2000 season using private and public money. In a tribute to his father, Mike Brown, the owner of the team, refused a corporate sponsor to have the stadium name citing he didn't need the money he would rather pay homage to his father the founder of the team so um okay 2009 so now we get into the 2010s which I've affectionately just named the Andy Dalton era yes uh, and before we do that, let's uh, 
let's plug the last one of the day here and get through this decade and you know who that's gonna be oh yeah oh yeah our sweetheart our sweetheart so guys check out nana's aroma llc uh check her out on facebook or check her out at nana's nana's aromas.com on the web she's located at 845 church street in beautiful palmyra indiana which is located in the heart of uh, beautiful harrison county call her to schedule an appointment for the store due to covid right now it's uh covid something she takes very seriously uh every candle she has is custom made by her from start to finish including the labeling these are all hand wicked she does more than just candles though she has air fresheners she has wax warmers melts the works and the best thing i say every episode the best thing the coolest thing and i've spent a lot of time talking to nana she'll make every batch in small quantities the reason being she don't care about production she cares about quality Quality, it's easier to qc small batches than big Uh, she sent me and kurt a free candle back in the summer blueberry cheese cream cheesecake Man. Smelled good enough to eat, didn't it, son? Yes, it did, for sure. But uh, Nana will ship all over the U.S., and, uh, guys, she has literally hundreds of candles she can make. Uh, So give her a call at 812-972-3670. That's 812-972-3670. Or send her a message over Facebook. Uh, She's the sweetest damn woman in the whole world. Kurt and I love her, and uh, she's done a lot for us. She's, uh, oh, yeah. we've been lucky enough to have some people here kind of partner up with us. I mean, this is, we're not monetizing anything from any of these people here in the beginning. And, uh, Nana has probably been our biggest champion and biggest supporter. So we love you, Nana. So that's Nana's Aromas LLC. That's right. All right, bro. So you ready to roll through this? Probably, probably, yes. we're probably looking at about an hour, maybe. Okay. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put a bow on it. We'll have to do some off the cluff, off the cluff, off the cuff, some off the cuff uh, word association, and then uh, make sure I got my episode list for. Okay, I got that. So we're ready for. So in 2010, uh, following a 2009 division championship, the team never gelled, despite having veteran talent, including that of another high-profile Hall of Fame now. Wide receiver joined the team, who was a bit of a, I won't say troublemaker, but he he, he, he was a bit of a circus show pony. You know who that would have been? T.O. T.O., baby. Yeah. After a 2-1 and one start, the Bengals tied a dubious team one season record by losing 10 in a row. <laughs> Wins in two of the last three games did little to ease the dissatisfaction, and fans started to clamor for the head of Marvin Lewis on a silver platter. Yeah. Head coach Marvin Lewis entered the season with an expired contract, but two days after the season finale, Paul Bra- uh, Mike Brown would announce Lewis had signed to return for a franchise record ninth season in 2011. A wise move given that the next five Bengals teams would make the playoffs. In 2010, Terrell Owens and Chad Ochocinco combined for 139 receptions for a 1,814 yards and 13 TDs, and Cedric Benson rushed for 1,100 yards while Carson Palmer passed for 3,900 yards, but the team was not able to deliver in the clutch. Opponents scored eight touchdowns on returns, INTs, fumbles, and kicks, and the Bengals were minus eight in the turnover differential. 
In 2010, injuries played a huge part as the Bengals were forced to place 17 players on the injured reserve list, and nine were veteran defensive players who have started or seen significant time if they were healthy. Uh, let's see here. This season, 2010, if my fucking mouse will move, was the last one in stripes for Chad Johnson, who completed the year with a franchise career record, which still stands today, which I have mentioned numerous times. Uh, let's see here now. Uh, the Bengals would play five preseason games that year, their most since 1988, as the club was selected to open the season against Dallas in the Pro Football Hall of Fame game. On August 7th, former Bengals defensive coach and head coach Dick LeBeau was inducted into the Hall of Fame. LeBeau had spent 18 years on the Cincinnati coaching staff and had a stellar career playing as a defensive back with the Detroit Lions and after leaving Cincinnati would go on to become the heart and soul of the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense. So, now in 2011... Shortly after re-signing with the Bengals, uh, head coach Marvin Lewis had a message for fans upset saying that I will fix us. Just give me a chance. Uh, Lewis let out a young team in week one of the 2011 season, and he uh, he led them to a 9-7 record in a wild card berth. Cincinnati lost at Houston in the wild card game. The very young Bengals team was not able to work with the coaching staff until late July because, as we all know, uh, 11 years ago, 2011, was the uh, the lockout. Yes. There was no football, nothing, from like March to July. Weird. Weird. Uh, definitely weird. Definitely, yeah. Uh, the lockout ended just as training camps were due to open with the announcement of a new CBA. Uh, they had a new offensive coordinator that year. Jay Gruden, John's younger brother. And they had two top draft picks in the first round or second round. Uh, A.J. Green and quarterback out of TCU. Uh, Andy Dalton. Uh, Andy Dalton, yes. Uh, Let's see here. Mike Zimmer's defense in his fourth season as coordinator would rank seventh in the NFL. Um, Dalton had some success at quarterback. It led the Bengals to trading veteran holdout Carson Palmer to Oakland uh, on two thousand on uh, on October eighteenth, to which turn Cincinnati would receive Oakland's twenty twelve first round draft pick and second round draft pick in twenty thirteen. Uh, the picks would be used to select cornerback uh, Drake Kirkpatrick. Who was yeah. a pretty solid defensive pretty back solid, yes. and halfback Giovanni Bernard, who I think is still a Bengal. I think so, yes. Or last year he still was. I'm not sure about he, this he year. He still is. He still is. Yeah, he's a Bengal, yes. Uh on July 29th, they would trade their talented but problem causing wide receiver Chad Johnson uh to New England. Uh, Cincinnati would use the picks to draft uh, star wideout for the Jacksonville Jaguars now, Marvin Jones. Right. Yeah, uh, let's see. 
and that's uh that's about it there so court well i mean i got the wild card game that you know houston uh ain't really much to talk about uh what was the score on that game uh ooh. i don't have it in here but it's okay <sighs> screw it uh so 2012 season, the Bengals brought the training camp to downtown Cincinnati, holding camp at the club's new home facility for the first time. The team had trained for 29 seasons at Wilmington College and the next 15 at Georgetown, Kentucky College. Changes in the NFL CBA agreement helped drive the change as the Bengals joined a majority of NFL teams which had switched to their home bases. With a new CBA in place, and if the reducing the amount of time players could be on the practice field, it was thought that their increased non-field time could be much better used at Paul Brown Stadium, where medical and classroom facilities were far superior to any remote campsite. Uh, let's see here. Let's see here. The team had planned and hoped for a second straight playoff season, but that went awry when the team lost four straight after a 3-1 and start standing at 3-5 and five at the midway point of the season. But the Bengals stormed back to go 7-1 and one in the second half and clinched a wild-card postseason berth with a 10-6 and six record. The only loss in the final eight games came by one point, a 20-19 loss to Dallas on a Cowboys field goal at the final tick of the clock. Of 131 NFL teams to post 3-5 and five starts between the years 1990 and 2012, the Bengals were one of only nine who would reach the playoffs, and the 7-1 finish tied the 1981 Cincinnati Super Bowl team for best second-half record in a 16-game season. There you go. There's some deep stats. I like deep stats. Sound like you like that pork and eggs. Dang right I do. Man, that's making me hungry, son. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I, I'm getting kind of hungry. Wide receiver A.J. Green had a pretty lights-out stellar year as he would go on to score a touchdown at, in nine straight games, a Bengals record for one season. He became the, he became only the second NFL player in a 48-year span to have at least one receiving TD in nine straight games in a season, joined by only Hall of Famer, Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice. Good guy. Hey, man, if you're in the same company as Jerry Rice, that's a... Yeah, you're doing all right. What what I always say, that's a good day at the office, right? Good day at the office, absolutely. Oh, here you go, Kurt. Here's here's some knowledge. Can you still hear me? I can still hear you. Okay, right on. Here's something for you. So new technology implemented by the NFL lessened the need for the 2012 teams to have notebooks and bulletin boards as the Bengals became the first NFL club to issue players tablets for the easy distribution of schedules, videos, and other key information. Like the rules, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. Well. Uh... Let's see here. So they go into the wild card. Um, my phone just went berserk. I ain't got time Luck for this. Me. Luck is giving me the evil eye. He's wanting some of that pork and eggs, son. 
He he knows he'll get some. He just got to be patient. <laughs> the Bengals were outgained 420 yards to 198 and only had 21 minutes of possession time, but they hung in against the favored Texans in the wild card. Uh, Cincinnati had the first down at the Houston 35 with 340 to play, looking for a touchdown, but the offense could get no further, and Houston ran out the clock, and Cincinnati surrendered the ball on downs. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So that's the end of 2012. So in 2013... Uh, Marvin Lewis uh, would lead them to their third straight playoff appearance. Uh, Cincinnati won its third AFC North division title under Lewis. They went 11 and five in 2013, clinching the crown with a 42-14 victory over the Minnesota Vikings in Game 15. The Bengals went eight and0 at home for the first time in club history since 1988 and they were among only five NFL teams to reach the postseason each year from 2011 to 2013. Uh, For the third straight season, however, the playoffs ended all too soon as San Diego beat them 27-10 in a first-round game at Paul Brown Stadium. The 2013 Cincinnati Bengals played three overtime games, most in a season in franchise history. They won the first overtime contest but would lose an OT in consecutive weeks in games 9 and 10. Let's see here. QB Andy Dalton would set a franchise record for passing yards with 4,293 and touchdown passes in a season with 33 and became one of only five teams or one of only five quarterbacks in NFL history to pilot a playoff club in his first three seasons in the league. Wide receiver A.J. Green would go on to become named to the Pro Bowl for the third time, and he set a club record for most 100-yard receiving games in a season with six and most consecutive 100-receiving-yard games with five. He's a beast. He is. He's playing for the Arizona Cardinals now. Yes. On the back end of his career. Not exactly lights out anymore, but still solid. Still solid, yes, definitely. Uh. Let me see what I got here. I got something about TV. Uh, in the On the TV side of things, in 2013, the Bengals agreed for the second time in five years to be featured during the preseason on the all-access HBO series Hard Knocks. The club allowed uh, complete access to team activities to crews from the NFL films, though many NFL teams often shy away from invitations to be on Hard Knocks. The Bengals won the AFC North title for the second straight time after doing the show, they had also did it in 2009. So, um, we're about we're, we're about there, son. We're about there. A lot of history. Well, it's it's summed up. I mean, if Corey if Corey ain't gonna be happy with this, and I don't know what to tell him. I think I did. A, I think I did a pretty stellar <laughs> job. You're doing a pretty good job, dude. So, my dad goes, "What are you doing?" I said, "I got to finish recording with Kurt." We record part of it. So we're doing a Corey Frejean episode. He goes, I don't even know what the fuck that means. <laughs> I said, Corey's a Cincinnati Bengals fan. He goes, is that the one that wears the orange? <laughs> well, it's one of the two that wear the orange, but yeah. He's not a he's not a sports guy. You got to love him, Mel. I guess I do. He gave me life. <laughs> there you go. So... 
Here you go, Kurt. 2014 head coach Marvin Lewis led the Bengals to a 10-5 and 1 record. There you go, a tie, baby. Uh, uh, why uh, is that why does that bother you so much? I mean, I, I don't know. I just I used to be able to gotta be a clear cut winner. I wonder what they'd do if that happened in the Super Bowl. It's well, never uh, happened. What would you do? Would you would you just Roger Goodell come out and be like, nope, we got to have a winner here. We've only got one Lombardi trophy. Well, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't even like that. Oh, God. Uh, so they went to the postseason for a fourth straight time, uh, extending the record set the previous year. Uh, the s- season ended when an injury-depleted team lost 26-10 to at Indianapolis in the wild card round, baby. Of course, the Colts would go on to lose to the Patriots in the AFC Championship. Hey, fun fact. So, the 2014 postseason, okay? Okay. So, the Indianapolis Colts, we get murdered like 45-7 to by the Patriots in the championship game. The Patriots would go on to win the Super Bowl. I believe they played Seattle, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that was the deflate game. Yes. You know, deflated ball. Okay, listen, I hate the Patriots. Deflated balls did not win this game. No. We got no. our asses kicked. You did. But Jim Irsay, the pill-headed owner of my beloved horseshoe, in an apparent fuck you back to the NFL and the New England Patriots, there is an AFC finalist banner hanging in the rafters at Lucas Oil Stadium. I seen it last time I was up there about four or five years ago. So most team, the losing teams, you know, that don't win the Super Bowl, usually they get an AFC champions banner that hangs in their stadium. You know, right. you, you hang the banners for all your division crowns. <clears throat> you know, you hang the banners for your Super Bowl. You'll hang the banner if you were the losing team in the Super Bowl, but you won your conference. Oh, no. We lost the conference championship game, but we have a 2014 AFC finalist banner <laughs> hanging from the rafters at Lucas Oil. And I seen that, and I took a picture of that. Last time I was up at Lucas Oil was 16 or 17, and I just remember thinking, I'm like, that's the ultimate fuck you to the NFL because they can't say nothing about it. They can't make them take it down. No. no. <laughs> but is that not funny? It maybe that's a little funny, bit yeah. of maybe that's a little bit of sour grapes, but well, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I agree with you on the. Uh, it did would have made a difference in the outcome of the game. But, no, we got beat the, by Belichick and Brady, hands down. But on the other hand, too, uh, I mean, it's just underhanded and sneaky, which describes the Patriots and Tom Brady. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Sure bet. Okay, so uh, they lose 26-10 against the Colts. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Bengals tied a national record with four regular season games in primetime on national TV in 2014. They were all over it. Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football. They were all over the place. Uh, A.J. Green would get voted to a fourth straight Pro Bowl. Uh, he joined legendary Bengals wide receiver Isaac Curtis as the only Bengal to be selected in their first four seasons. Cornerback Adam Pac-Man Jones 
the former yeah. Tennessee Titan, became the first Bengal to win an NFL kickoff return tile. He averaged 31 yards a kickoff. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive. So, let me see here. Uh, probably, and, and I wanted to put this out here because of what this meant. Uh, de- defensive tackle Devon Still touched the heart across the nation when he revealed that his daughter had been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, Still had been, I think, a practice squad player at the time. Uh, and the Bengals worked to have sales of her jersey number sold for pediatric cancer benefit research. He later got signed to the team so he could help pay for her. The way I understand this, and I didn't fact check all this, but the way I think I remember this was that he had been a practice squad player or a third stringer. Uh, he got elevated to 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 a, to a main guy to help pay for these medical bills. The team helped pay for some of the medical bills, uh, and the jersey sales they ended up raising over a million dollars. Uh, you know, so it's just a feel good story. Right, right. Uh, they would sign Andy Dalton to a six year contract extension. Um, I say um, that's my favorite word. Um. Uh, <laughs> which would keep him with the team through 2020. And then on April 17th, the club continued its leading role in the development of the Cincinnati downtown riverfront, announcing an agreement with Hamilton County that would pave the way for GE to bring a major office filled facility to the, to the neighboring area between Paul Brown stadium and the reds, great American ballpark. So they're, they're involved in all sorts of things. Uh, Fans at home games in 2014 at Paul Brown Stadium enjoyed the benefits of the first state-of-the-art Wi-Fi system. So they're doing a lot of things. I don't know. Nothing really prevalent to the team. Uh, and then I got in here where Andrew Luck shut him down, which I love. Yes. Okay. So now we're coming up into the last five years, five years here because I didn't put anything about 2021 season in here. So... Uh, In 2015, they extended their franchise record for consecutive playoff seasons to five and stood as only one of four teams to qualify those five seasons. It was more bittersweet, though, as they got off to an 8-0 start. 2015 was the year that everybody was really clamoring. They they were 8-0. I mean, my God, they're undefeated halfway through the season. Uh, And they would go on to finish the season 12-4, tied for most wins in a season, uh, Andy Dalton was a big part of it all. He won the AFC passing crown, uh, passing rating of 106.3. Uh, but he suffered a thumb, a, a thumb injury in week 13 against Steelers and would miss the remainder of the campaign, including an 18-16 to 16 loss to Pittsburgh in the first round of the playoffs. The backup at the time was an Alabama product by the name of A.J. McCarron. He went 2-1 and one as a starter in the last three regular season games. Uh, by this point, Cincinnati had a one-two punch at running back with Giovanni Bernard and Jeremy Hill, who were both playing pretty dominant. Uh, A.J. Green was doing A.J. Green things. That's all I'm going to say there. Right. Uh, the Bengals' 2015 season included a sec a second-place finish in scoring defense. Uh, so, defense is dominant. Yes. Uh and a heated, a heated rivalry with the Steelers that year. 
that 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 playoff game. Uh, just I wonder if I got the, I wonder if I got the Vontez Burfitt thing in here. You know, see, I, I, where I was going with this was the, the Burfitt thing. Great linebacker. Great Surely ball to player. God, I put that in there. But a thug. Why do you, you know? Man, it's kind of like AB. You know, just I don't know. Always in the headline. I don't. I don't have it in here. I thought I did. Son of a bitch! I didn't put it in. So yeah, Vontez Burfitt, the Cincinnati Bengals. He was just a, he was a headhunter like. The equivalent of Troy Polamalu, except just a lot dirtier of a player. Uh, great linebacker, though. Great linebacker. He I mean, had a nose for the ball. I mean, always into play on every play. Had a might. nose for opposing defenders' head, too. Yes, he did. And But the thug part of it there just... And how ironic is that he hit A.B. in that game and put A.B. out. And A.B.'s a thug, too, right? So, so I don't know. In 2016, for the first time in six seasons, they missed the playoffs to finish six, nine, and one, Kurt. Oh, boy. Ugh. There's a lot of ties for this team. Yes, there is. Uh, you hate ties. Uh, I, won't even, <laughs> I, I won't even put one on. <laughs> uh, anyways, <laughs> you big dummy. <laughs> Cincinnati's last five losses of the season came by a total of only 16 points, and a general lack of production in the fourth quarter was highlighted by the team suffering from crucial misplaced kicks as no Bengals team had suffered in recent years. Injuries were also a worse than normal factor, and Coach Marvin Lewis would say, your record is what you earn. We have to do a better job in so many ways. The most notable injury was a hamstring injury that cost A.J. Green all but two snaps of the last seven games. Through the not, through nine games, A.J. Green's totals of 66 and 964 had him on pace to set the club's season records in both categories. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, they had some lights out playing from their defense. Um, let's see what else I got here. They took part for the first time in the NFL's International Series, playing Washington to a 27 tie on October 30th at London's Wembley Stadium. Uh, let's see here. Here you go. So the tie against Washington was notable because it was Cincinnati's third tie in nine seasons. Only eight other NFL teams even had a tie in that span. Hi, bugaboo. Boy, Kurt hates that. I can't stress how much I hate. I mean, it's... Uh. So, 2017 would have been the Bengals' 50th season. They created a commemorative 50th logo for their team uniforms and apparel. They introduced special signage throughout the stadium and city, honoring Bengals legends at halftime of each home game. But on the field, the Bengals finished the 2017 season in third place in the AFC North, finishing at 7-9 and missing the playoffs for the second straight year. The offense failed to score a touchdown in the team's first two games, which included a 20 to nothing shutout at the home opener against the Ravens and a 13-9 loss in primetime on Thursday night football against the Houston Texans. Uh... So they made some coaching changes with the quarterback's coach. Um, what else we got in here? 
The defense, which ranked second in the NFL through week six, fell to number 18th in the league by the end of the season. Mm. Ooh, Kurt's like, ouch. Ouch, yes. So, there's that. Um, after a 33-7 to loss for Chicago in week 14 and a 34-7 to loss at Minnesota in week 15, dropped the record to 5-9. and nine. The Bengals rebounded to win their final two games of the season and knocked both their opponents, Detroit and Baltimore, out of playoff contention. The Bengals won the season. The Bengals' win in the season finale came in dramatic fashion as the team stunned the Ravens in Baltimore with a knockout TD in the final minute to eliminate the Ravens from the playoffs. Uh, let's see here. So they're playing spoiler. Nothing wrong with playing spoiler. No, no, absolutely not. Uh. That win by eliminating the rail by eliminating the rail the Ravens would help elevate the Buffalo Bills to the playoffs for the first time since 1999, and Bills fans showed their appreciation of Dalton's last-minute heroics by donating heavily to his charity. <laughs> Bills linebackers made a large number of $17 contributions, one dollar for each of the 17 consecutive non-playoff seasons for the Bills. <laughs> And in the end, more than $450,000 in donations were made to the Andy and Jordan Dalton Foundation. That's being a bit of a smart ass, but it went for a good cause. Yeah, yeah. You're, li- you're loving this, aren't you? Yeah, it, it's pretty interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it just amazes me. I don't know. The things to come up with. Yeah. Uh, on December 12, 2017... Bengals co-founder Pete Brown, 74 years old, who was the senior vice president of player personnel, had worked in the mid-60s with his late father, Paul, and his brother, Mike, to bring pro football to Cincinnati, passed away. Uh, Two days after the season ended, uh, Mike Brown would sign Marvin Lewis to a two-year extension through 2019. Offensive line coach Paul Alexander, the second-longest tenured assistant in Bengals history at 24 seasons, would leave for Dallas after his contract was not renewed at the urging of Marv Lewis. So Marv Lewis doesn't want anybody else to have his job, but he doesn't want to keep anybody else either. Right. So here we go. The last two seasons, three seasons. So in 2018, the Bengals started off four and one. They stood five and three at the midway point of the season, but a one and seven finish left them with a six and ten final record and a last place finish in the AFC North. The season was marred by a wave of injuries that would cripple the team. Of the 53 players on the roster for the regular season opener at Indianapolis, 22 missed at least two games due to injury. 14 of those two players ended the season on IR, including starters QB Andy Dalton, wide receivers A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd, and tight end Tyler Eifert, Eifert was a surprise for a, he come on strong for a few years there. He was like a go-to option in Cincinnati. Oh yeah. I think even sure. more. I think it was AJ Green first, then it was Eifert, and Eifert's Eifert, never been yeah. the same player since. Nope. Uh, the Bengals would fire first-year defensive coordinator Terrell Austin, uh, who would replace Zimmer, who would go on to become the coach of the Minnesota Vikings. I do believe. Yeah. Uh, they would fire him the day after a 54-14 to loss to New Orleans. Uh, Marvin Lewis 
would assume defensive coordinator duties for the season's final seven games. The defense showed improvement under Lewis, but still finished last in the NFL. Uh, Second-year running back Joe Mixon rushed for 1,100 yards and became the first Bengal to ever lead the AFC rushing in a season. Uh, Tyler Boyd enjoyed a breakout performance, and his 1,000-plus yards receiving made him the first Bengal other than Green to hit the century mark in 10 seasons. Um... On December 31st, 2018, the day after the regular season finale, the Bengals and head coach Marvin Lewis agreed to mutually part ways after 16 seasons. Marvin Lewis would end his career with a 131, 122, and 3 regular season record. Um, His total career of 131 career victories is most in team history and has tied him for 24th in NFL history. So not, not a bad accomplishment. No. no. The, the three on the end of that though just the, uh, the ties. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. So uh here we go, twenty nineteen. Uh February fourth, which was a Monday, the day after Super Bowl, and you and I both know what February fourth, twenty nineteen means to me in my life. We're not gonna uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a it was yeah. a dark day in my life. February fourth, twenty nineteen, the Bengals hired Los Angeles Rams quarterbacks coach Zach Taylor as the Cincinnati's tenth coach, who, by the way, is still coaching today. Yeah. His first season was marked by injuries to key players. This is the thing. These Bengals players cannot stay healthy. And I get it, dude. These are high running athletes playing at a high speed. Accidents are gonna happen. Players are going to get hurt, but it seems like this Bengals team has always been marred by injuries. It's, they got a bugaboo or something there for sure. You know. uh, it's the, a gladiator sport, though. I mean, they they started a franchise worst zero and eleven in twenty nineteen. They would finish two and fourteen, which would guarantee them the number one pick. Um. Let's see. 2019, the first day of training camp, wide receiver All-Pro A.J. Green would go down with an ankle injury that would cost him the season. Uh, They had injuries that decimated the offensive line. Uh, The team was 0-8 at the halfway point of the season. Taylor announced during the team's bye week that he would be benching longtime starter Andy Dalton in favor of rookie quarterback Ryan Finley who was a late-round pick. The experiments turned out to be short-lived as Cincinnati's offense managed just 33 points over the next three games, which would all be losses. Dalton would return back to the starting role on December 1st against the Jets and led their Bengals to the first win of the season. During that game, Dalton would go on to pass Kenny Anderson for the most career completions and touchdowns in team history. Cincinnati would secure the number one overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft with a December 22nd loss against Miami. But the game will be perhaps most remembered for the Bengals' dramatic 23-point fourth-quarter comeback that featured 16 points in the final 29 seconds to force overtime. After the contest, the fans lined the stands at Paul Brown Stadium and chanted, Dalton's name as he exited the field from what was believed to be his final game with the team. And then uh, 
So here we go. 2020. This was the first time since 2010 that Andy Dalton wasn't on the roster. He was released by the Bengals a week after the draft when the Bengals used their first overall pick on LSU product Joe Burrow. The Bengals started off with a close 16-13 loss to the Chargers, followed by a 35-30 loss to the Browns. And then in week three, they met the Eagles, kept it close the entire game. In overtime, however, both teams failed to score, and the game ended in a 23-23 tie, Kurt. <laughs> Oh my! Hey. If we never talk about ties uh, again, <laughs> oh shoot! Uh, so basically, uh, let's see. A lot of, lot of, uh, yeah, a bright future uh, for Cincinnati. I think as long as Burrow. I mean, they made a good draft pick there, for sure. They did. Uh, let's see here. I'm scrolling down. Uh, the Bengals would end up finishing last season, 2020, at 4-11-1, last place in the AFC North, and they secured the fifth overall pick in the 2021 draft. Uh, I did not watch the draft this year. Uh, by this point of the draft, we were really starting to look at uh, a podcast, so I was too busy with getting things set up for that, and, uh, you know, a couple of weeks after the draft, I think, is when we fired up our first episode. So, right. so now uh, I got players a note for this era here. Uh, Vontez Burfitt, linebacker, undrafted player, became one of the NFL's most dominant and feared defensive players, but also has been accused of being probably the dirtiest player in NFL history. That's a pretty, that's a pretty broad stroke the yeah. paint there or the paintbrush. I don't know if I would call him the dirtiest player, but I guarantee uh, he's in the running. Yeah, he he was thugging. Uh yeah. Andy Dalton, of course, uh AJ Green, uh Giovanni Bernard, Jeremy Hill, Adam Pacman Jones. Uh so as I mentioned before, uh the Bengals are one of twelve teams to have not won a Super Bowl. They're one of six who have not won a championship pre or post Super Bowl era. And they're the only AFL franchise to have never won a championship in the AFL or the NFL. Uh, so, and then I had some there about the uniforms, uh, basically how they are the same as the Browns. Paul Brown just kind of did it as a fuck you to Cleveland and Art Modell. Uh, the Tiger Stripes got changed, all this crap, uh, their uniforms. Uh, what else? The official mascot is a Bengal tiger named Hooday. Hooday. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> let's see here. You ever notice, and uh, I, I read this, and I don't know if I put it in here as I'm scrolling down. The Bengals are Hoodat, or the, the Saints are Hoodat, and the Bengals yeah. are Hooday. Hooday. <laughs> which there's, there's, there's often speculation that they stole this from the the saints but uh you know, know whatever right um yeah right here cincinnati fans started chanting who day in their 1981 super bowl run people believe they stole this after hearing the saints chant who dat <laughs> if the Bengals did not just flat out steal the chant from louisiana it appears that this chant comes from a mix of a local beer company and car dealership who 
Brewing then created a beer that read Hooday on the can in honor of the Bengals' Super Bowl run in 1981. So. Did you just feel a ground shake? Did I just feel a ground shake? Yeah, we just either had an earthquake or I'm not sure what's going on. But I literally uh, sitting in my chair here and it, I started shaking. Are you in the kitchen? No, I'm in the living room. Sitting in your recliner? Yeah. Probably staring at the 2K screen? No, I just uh, kind of kicked back right now. <laughs> Feet up, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I guess it could have been a coal mine blast. But that's so, not weird. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier, and I have some contributions that the Bengals have made to the NFL, one being the no-huddle offense. Uh, you can thank Sam Weish for that. It was often used to hurry up and get a snap while teams were substituting players, get a penalty, get an extra five or ten yards. Uh, They brought that in. Bill Walsh was uh, a big part of that. Big Walsh was – well, here's the West Coast offense. It's a popular name for a high-percentage passing scheme designed by former Bengals assistant Bill Walsh, uh, which Walsh led the West Coast offense with the 49ers in the 80s. Uh, Cincinnati would adopt some of that as well. Um, zone blitz was another big one. Uh, you can thank Dick LeBeau for that. Uh, the zone defense, actually, the zone blitz was actually kind of, I guess, to offset the West Coast offense. Yes. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals only have one retired jersey number. Accurate as of my research last week, that would be number 54 for the first player they ever drafted, Bob Johnson, the center. They retired it on 1978, December 17th. Um, Cincinnati Bengals only have three Hall of Famers. Uh, Terrell Owens, which, I mean, he only played one or two seasons with them, but still he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Anthony Munoz, of course, went in in 98. And uh, Charlie Joyner went in in 96. Yeah. I can't believe Ken Anderson ain't in there yet. Yeah, you're, well, I mean, he's not there. Uh, so, NFL MVP award winners, uh, Ken Anderson, Boomer Esiason, AFL Rookie of the Year, uh, Greg Cook, Eddie Brown, Paul Robinson, who was a running back, Carl Pickens. Coach of the Year, Paul Brown and Marvin Lewis. Uh, Walter Payton, Man of the Year, Kenny Anderson in 75. Linebacker Reggie Williams in 86. Def- uh, offensive tackle Anthony Munoz in 91. Now, on April 8, 2021, so almost a year ago, the Bengals announced that they would begin a ring of honor. The inaugural class included Anthony Munoz, Paul Brown, Ken Riley, and Kenny Anderson. So... Now, what else do I have? I have something else down here yet. Oh, yeah. It's the Ring of Honor. Uh, they've had 54 seasons, including this year's. Uh, there are 5-4 and four in the playoffs. Zero Super Bowls, two appearances. All-time win-loss tie record is 372, 458, and 5. I should have got a percentage on that, but I didn't. Um... I mean, I could figure out a percentage real quick. That's kind of I'm kind of curious now. Yeah. So, 
Let's see. Plus. Plus. I don't know. It's just under. It's a little bit under 500. Okay. That's, that's a lot of numbers. <laughs> so, um, all time passing leader, Kenny Anderson. Uh, all time rushing. Uh, well, I guess I should say all time, not by season, but all time passing leader, Kenny Anderson. Uh, 32,838 yards for 197 touchdowns. All time rushing leader. Uh, Corey Dillon, 8,061 yards, 45 touchdowns. All-time receiving leader, Chad Johnson, 751 receptions, 10,783 yards, and 66 touchdowns. Uh, come on, you damn thing. Hang on, Kurt. Well, yeah, we're good. Techni technical difficulties. Winning as coach, Marvin History. Uh, so, yeah. So, so that wraps up a abbreviated, oh, right. I'm going to put that top, an abbreviated complete team history of the Cincinnati Bengals. So, since I don't have these in my notes, um, I, well, actually, before we do that, I want to thank all my sources for this episode, Good. which I, I had to pull a lot of shit from. So, let me look here. Our sources for this episode, as always, include NFL.com, CincinnatiBengals.com, Wikipedia, the Cincinnati Inquirer, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Bleacher Report, uh, Pro Football Reference, LA Times, USA Today, CBS Sports, NBC Sports, and ESPN. Didn't have a whole lot this time. Alright. So now So now this is where I need we need to do a little word association. Right on. And uh as always, first thing that comes to mind, so and I don't have any of these wrote out, so I'm gonna have to think of a few off the the top of my head. So okay. and we'll start with Paul Brown. Uh, legendary. Legendary? Yeah. Kenny Anderson. Huh. Stud. Stud. That's a good one. <laughs> Chad Ochocinco. Um, outspoken. That's a good one. Carson Palmer. Solid. AJ Greed. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, right. Andy Dalton. Uh, the Red Rifle. The Red Rifle. Oh, look, I love that. I love I I love that. The Red Rifle. Um Anthony Munoz. Best. Bengals in the nineties. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought at first you were going oh boy because you were going to think, and then I realized he oh he meant oh boy because uh, oh, oh boy yeah oh boy yeah okay the Carson Palmer era Bengals very solid very solid yes Anthony Munoz did I ask you that one yeah 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 okay the Cincinnati Bengals in general a great good organization good organization, good organization. yes. All right, Solid. man. 
So now I am going to have me a smoke and I am going to grab the list and uh, start looking at, uh, I'm going to cross the, there you go, Corey. Merry Christmas. Yep. Merry Christmas. This will definitely probably be our longest episode to date. So there's a lot to talk about there. An abbreviated version of the Bengals history. So what do you want to talk about next week? Um, what was there we talked about last night that we we touched on it might be a good episode of the US something about the 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 rise and short yeah. fall of the USFL yeah. league. I mean that that is intriguing. Uh, maybe we maybe we could maybe just put that on possibilities. Okay. I mean, that just adds to the list, I know, but... Uh, and uh, you're definitely down for... Uh, always down to talk about baseball, huh? Oh, definitely. Yes. I feel like we talk about baseball more than anything. But you know what? I'm not complaining. I love baseball. I do, too. I do, too. You know, the best baseball episode we've done, I think, was either the 85 World Series or the 2004 ALCS. Uh, yeah, uh, they were good. Uh, I, I've kind of leaned toward the 85 series, but uh, they were both good. I don't know why they ranked that so low in the all-time ranking. Cause, I it mean, a great series. I mean, dang it. everything, everything, every had everything you possibly want. You know, I like, love Don Dinkinger. I do too. Don, <laughs> I'm not saying this is accurate, but there's serious weight to the statement that Dinkinger helped the Royals win the World Series. Oh, absolutely. Without Dinkinger, there's no Game 7. Absolutely. So. Which, in today, which in today, they would have gotten it right, and it would have totally, yeah. Yeah. With the instant replay or what have you. Huh. Well, I just don't know. I mean, that the USL is a possibility. I'm kind of, kind of in the mood to do a baseball one. I mean, we yeah, could, I'd be down to do baseball. I mean, we, sure. we could do another hockey episode. I'd be down to do hockey. Uh, which I still have not got that app. I, I looked into it and I just didn't follow through with it yet. The NHL app. Yeah, it's yeah. free to download. Yeah, I know. I just, uh, I just haven't gotten around to it. I need to. I need to get back into hockey a little bit. So, more. so where we're at, this is a Monday afternoon. We're not working today. We go back tomorrow. Yep. So this coming weekend is a kid week. This weekend will be a kid weekend. So we're looking at next Saturday when we record. Okay. So that'll give me time to prep. Uh, Kurt, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but. I want to do a World Series episode. Let's do it. Okay, so here's here's the deal. I'm going to take tonight to think about which World Series episode we're going to do. Okay. And uh, I'll let you know later. Okay. Because, I mean, I, I, I want to cover, you know. Think if, we, if you stay alive and I stay alive, God willing, I'd like to cover every World Series. Oh, yeah, for sure. Eventually, but there's there's like... Five of them sticking out in my mind right now, and I just can't decide. One of them's uh, Cardinals and Rangers. That eleven, that twenty eleven World Series great, was great, great World fucking Series. World Series. Yes, I wanted to see the Rangers win so bad. 
I did too, but David Freeze, man. David Freeze. Yeah. Unlikely hero. That's what he was. And then after yeah. that he kind of fell off the map. Yes. Uh interestingly enough. Yeah. Well. So here here's what we'll do. Here's here's what we'll do. Uh we will uh cover a World Series in our next episode. We will record our brand new show open in our next episode. Uh, depending on how lazy me and Kurt are, the very next episode we do will either be the last time you hear the current show open, or, you know, maybe we'll do it before. Who knows? Right. But uh, I'll definitely bring you your script so you can hold yes. on to it and study. And I right. got a printer for Christmas, so now, right. now right on, I can print you the notes so you've got something to look over right right there you go so uh it's all coming together bro. it's all coming together bro we're we're uh we're, we're slowly making our way towards big time if we can just keep increasing viewership uh which seriously uh you know i track the data on this kurt don't because kurt's not a data guy no i'm an analog man <laughs> i track the data <laughs> we are gaining traction uh of course you know the stats are fudged a little because I usually listen to our episodes too, and everybody goes, "You're you're fucking your stats." No, I look at I listen to every episode back because I want to know uh, where we can improve at. Kurt just listens to it because Kurt's. It's nice for Kurt to hear it all after it's finished. Yes. So I do it for research. Kurt does it just strictly as a viewer or a listener. But uh, we are gaining some traction. That's good. So, uh, all right, bro. Well, uh, uh, one one last thing here. Uh, end of an era tonight. You know what I'm talking about. I'll let you take it. Go ahead and take it. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, last game. At, now, like I Pittsburgh. said, this hasn't, I don't think, I think to this uh, it, day it's not been confirmed, but like I said, Adam Schefter broke the report over a month ago, and uh Adam Schefter is probably my favorite NFL insider. Yeah. And for those that yeah. know anything about sports the last 15 years, uh, Schefter hits more than he misses. I think he, there's only been one or two times he's whiffed on something. So He's pretty solid, yeah. And I, I got to say, I'm, it's Big Ben's last game in Pittsburgh. I mean, there's just no way other way around it. But at the end of an era, I just wanted to bring uh, bring that up again. But You know, uh, and what a, what, a, what a career, too. What oh, a career yeah. two, uh, without a doubt, surefire Hall of Famer, first ballot. Yeah. You know, you got to yeah. wait five years. Sure, first ballot Hall of Famer, without a doubt. Same as Peyton. Without a doubt. Uh, yeah. Same as Tom Brady, whenever he fucking ages and retires. <laughs> fucking yeah. guy, man. Yeah, He's good, but I hate his guts. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. But, uh, yeah, the, the end of an era in Pittsburgh. Uh, and the Bengals, you know, since this is They're a Bengals right episode. Yeah. I don't. I th they they want they clinched the division, so I'm pretty sure that's a, a postseason berth right there. Yes. So uh, Joe Burrow's Joe Burrow's looking good. I tell you what. Uh, yeah, he's a look, good looking quarterback. Good looking quarterback. Uh, they got some. Uh, got some good looking years possibly. Right, Cincinnati. Yep. All right, bro. Well, uh, we'll end it there. I'll be in touch with you tonight or tomorrow at work when i see you we'll uh figure out what we're gonna do but i think we're gonna I think we're gonna do another world series episode next week i'm in the mood to talk some baseball it's not yeah. baseball season but i'm i'm always down to talk baseball yeah me too me too absolutely all right yeah, bro. Let me know. well uh enjoy the rest of your day and i'll see you in the morning all right peace all out right, see you bro
All right, so uh, for Kirk Kelly, I'm uh, Jared Atkins. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, like I said, we'll uh, will we record again in a couple weeks. We'll have a brand new show opening, uh, brand new audio. Um, I can't believe this is the first episode in a long time we haven't played a single audio clip off of uh, YouTube or anything. Uh, probably should have done that, but whatever. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this like i said uh when when i agreed to take on a complete team history thing i did not think it would be this massive and then once i got into it i was like there's no way i can break down every season off season by off season game by game so i had to sum it all up into you know a few short paragraphs of every year and then each decade in general so uh for the Bengals fans out there especially you Corey, hope you guys enjoyed it and uh we will see you guys next week